Live from the William Hubbard Taft Memorial Auditorium in the Pivotal Film Tower, high above the New Haven skyline, welcome to the first annual Pivotal Film Awards! Now welcome your host, Thomas Nolan and Mario Ponzio. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, gee. Oh, wow. wow. That man has a has We a, wasted has a all of our voice. production budget on that on that announcer. Yeah. I think it was worth it. I think it was worth it. Was it? Was the it? tuxedo is a nice touch that he's that he's wearing in the pivotal film pivotal film towers. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. So it's just like backwards though, which is odd. He's wearing it. And it's just a t-shirt tuxedo, but like without the pants. Yeah. So it's and it's just it's. But it's a t-shirt tuxedo. Enough. But he, I saw him wearing a tuxedo jacket earlier. I think he thought it was maybe too much. Yeah. So you know, no. whatever it is. But this it's was a special a, this occasion. Was us, this was us doing our Mulhaney and uh, Kroll. <laughs> I should have developed an accent for it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Damn it! Missed opportunity. Next year, 2019. Um, but here we are. This this is the end of the year. This is episode 76. Oh wait. It is not. It's episode 76 and a half. Well, no, it's not even attached to that. It's, no, but we'll just... It's the awards. It it's us talking about movies I know. of very, the year, all year. Very excited. Mark. All year. All episode. <laughs> um, now, to start, there are some movies that you won't see on this list that we probably would want to put on our list. We just didn't happen to have the time. Unfortunately, we're not given screeners. We're not yeah, allowed in the special screenings, and our jobs don't revolve around film. And not um, only that, but like it's hard. We don't live in New York City, no. So no. some of this stuff is just not, av- is not well, available for us. The to biggest see. thing to first say is there's going to be no foreign language category. We're basically following the formula of the Academy Awards. We don't have a foreign language category because Shoplifters and Burning both got one week releases here, mm-hmm. and Cold War hasn't is. 50 miles away right now. And there's, I mean, I the, think starting tomorrow, actually. Yeah, and then the rest of the stuff that's um, long listed for the, or short listed for the Oscar isn't available yeah, at all. Yeah, Capernaum or and um, all those. And a couple, of, a couple of other things. They're just, yeah. they're not, they're not available yet. So. And there's a few films that have been either underground successes or were in, maybe not so much Oscar contention, but, you know, films that are Aquaman. saying also Rands. Uh, this year, so I haven't seen something like Thoroughbreds or Tolly. Not that those were also Rands. Crazy Rich Asians, which actually could, unfortunately, be it. Well, I don't know. can't even say unfortunately. I don't know. Which could be a Best Picture contender. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sisters Brothers, which is something guys were really excited to see. I actually bought a ticket for that, and then I couldn't go because my kid was sick, and then it disappeared from theaters the next day. Yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah, that, that was... poor poor movie. Um, and one that Tom saw, Wildlife, which I really desperately wanted to see, but I also missed. Because I, I work, people. Medicaid policy, not in. No, it's not, not, it's not easy. You can't. You can't balance. It's hard to balance your film life and your work life when you're doing Medicaid. But policy. I mean, if you want to finance us, we'll start a like a Patreon. Yeah, both of us will gladly quit what we do on a normal basis to just watch movies all day. If you, you want to give us stop, money, stop being a dad. I will stop getting two <laughs> master's degrees simultaneously, <laughs> which at, one weekend is ruining my life. So there you go. Oh, jeez. That's how, that's how it's done over here at Pivotal Film. Um, any major films you know you missed? Uh, 
I almost missed the Meg, but I, I, I got around to it. No, good. Yeah. That's good. Um, nothing that I really wanted to see. I mean, I didn't see, I didn't see Halloween. You know what I mean? Well, um, Sisters Brothers, I guess. Sisters Brothers I wanted to see, but it, it's, I think it's a couple weeks still. Um, but nothing that really pops out. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I'm most upset about the foreign films. Like, yeah, Shoplifters mean, burnt, uh, Burning and I really Cold wanted, War were I probably really wanted all to see up burning. my alley. The, I mean, I had tickets a couple weeks ago for The Bread Factory, both parts of The Bread Factory. Um, that you were going to travel 110 gonna, miles for. Yeah, that I was going to see, and yeah, I just didn't, I didn't make it. I didn't make it out there. Um, but other than that, like from like a major film perspective, I got to everything. But I, I think, think going forward, as we do our episodes, we'll do many things if we f- see something that what came out last year that really, really hit us. We'll talk about it, and I think especially for something like Sisters Brothers, we might even have a little discussion. About well, we're, it. that's the thing. So we're not. I mean. Now is not going to be a time for major. Re- I mean, there's major releases, but we're not going to see all these. I mean, the next movie I'm going to go see is is the Lego Movie Part Two. Um, so as Sisters Brothers, you know, appears on you know digital, we'll talk about it along with the Lego Movie and, and stuff like that. I think Shoplifters comes out February 12th on digital. Ah, son of a gun, guys! <laughs> what? Release it right before. And the reason we're doing this too is be- it's before the Academy Award nominations. They come out on Tuesday. Right. So we wanted I mean, to get in there. So nobody is like, hey, guys, you're copying. Which or copying <laughs> we would or not be. influence to, like, we're being contrarian. Oh, like, which these is are, more likely. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we may be doing that anyway, but I don't feel like we some are. Some of these but. categories seem pretty, um, like, a foregone conclusion in terms of the Oscars. But we're not being contrarian in any way with those. I think I, I didn't. I think there's, there's I think, a couple. There's a couple times I grimished that I a movie I did not like had to be in a category. See, I didn't really do that. I I just I I think production design's one for me where I just kind of reevaluated what I was looking for in in a production design, and I I nominated those movies, or I honored those movies, however much of an honor this is, instead of sticking something in that I know will be. An academy, like, well, the, the Academy Award will win itself over. Also, speaking of which, if any of the winners today, uh, for some reason, hear this and want an award, we'll ship you a Connecticut beer. No, you know what we'll do? We won Connecticut beer. We will get pivotal film, like, beer glasses made How with m- the logo. But imagine if every single person, there's like 23, I guess we could get a mass produced. Yeah, we could do we're it. Not gonna give, we're not going to have your category on there. It just will be, no, let's say, award winner. But if Ethan Hawke. Wants an award for something. He wants a beer glass with pivotal film on it. He can have one. But it will not say best actor if you were to win. Maybe. Not. You don't know. We don't know. Keep listening. We don't know. We don't and know. I think, actually, with that, maybe we should jump into the last thing before we actually get to the awards. You know, the main point of the show. But the most important part of the show. Ah, the beer, the Mario. Beer. The beer gimmick continues for week two. Um, it is Thimble Islands out of Brantford, Connecticut. Mutually assured destruction. Our, our good friends, right? Our good buddies. Yeah, yeah. Even though they didn't respond to my hashtag. Um... Sons of a gun. Last week we did the s'more. This week we are doing the chocolate peanut butter. It is a Russian Imperial flavored stout brewed with lactose peanut butter and Dutch cocoa. So what's the is this the ABV is also eleven on this or this, this is another ten. Oh. So no, it's eleven we're looking for in the ordinary one. Where's my It's right behind you behind my computer. You need a fancy workstation. Oh, I'm not a fan of that fragrance, though. That's so much like old peanut butter. Right, peanut butter. Ooh, that was pleasant. That's interesting. You get a peanut? No, it's like a, it's a little peanut butter at the finish. Like when you're drinking, it just tastes like an Imperial Russian stout to me. There's not a lot of chocolate. But somehow on the left side of my tongue, about 
So the anterior side of my tongue, well, anterior is the top. The left side of my tongue, near the, near the top, I got a little, nice little actual peanut butter taste. Like, not the chocolate part, but that nice processed Reese's peanut butter inside of the cup. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not getting any peanut butter, and I'm not really getting any chocolate. I'm getting a solid bitterness, and I think it's a nice tasting imperial stout, but I'm just, it's, I'm missing the peanut butter. And I haven't, I haven't eaten anything. By the way, is there but- actually peanuts in this? No, I don't think so. Okay, good. It's peanut butter. Oh, well. It's nice knowing you guys. Wouldn't that be great if I had... No, it wouldn't be great if I had a peanut allergy. Actually, yeah. <laughs> and you died while we were recording and I just left it? We would get so many hits, though. I'm going to read I'm gonna read Mario's list real quick before I call 911. Just <laughs> I'm going to sure get it. You're just going to edit it a bit. <laughs> um, okay, so while we drink this beer, I think we should get into our first category, which is actually a special one. Um, and this category and our pictures picture category will be uh, presented in top 10 everything else is going to be just general awards. whatever have i think five is the max yeah ish but we do have some, some of, yeah. with less but this is sequences and shots this is sequences and shots so did not you necess- notice that there was like a really high prevalence of sequence slash shots best of lists this year i did it seemed like every publication was producing like a best of sequence i don't shots think a list. lot of films had particularly amazing shots this year like single mm. frames like roma obviously we Let's, talked about soft air yeah like if it was literal shots roma would just be number 10 like, the first shot of roma number nine the second shot of roma we wouldn't put the beach scene in just to fuck with square on <laughs> beach scene that'd be the one hate thing we do um so these are sequences our shots so uh whether or not we appreciate the way it edited it's presented to us i'm i did it in such a way of what I felt was pivotal or had that like punch personally to me. This is how I did that. Or ones that were just I think visually. We looked at, I think we looked at it the the same roughly the same way. I left one off and we won't have to talk about it, um, only because we talked about it for a long time on the podcast. So it was just like, well that one. And by the way, if you do care, there are there are spoilers for films. I'll mention when I'm gonna spoil something uh, before I begin. I'm not because I don't care. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> okay. You want to go first or you want me to go first? Oh, uh, yeah, I'll start. All My right. number 10 is the sequence where you see the painting has a sculpture in At Eternity's Gate. It turns black and white. They're talking about the value of, you know, sculpture versus painting and how the, the camera turns it goes black and white so you could see the fact that the abstraction of color is actually is creating something. Mm-hmm. I just love that. That's too. a good one. Yeah. Um thank you. My number 10, which Mario I'm sure will disagree with, is the baby Jack Jack fights the raccoon sequence in Incredibles 2. That's fun. Which is, I mean, okay, so I'm approaching this as a dad. There's nothing better in the world than like watching that with your kids, and they just can't control themselves because they're laughing so hard. And then they just do the scene themselves like over and over and over. Yeah. It's just, it's, I mean, it, it, I think it's funny anyway, but like getting to kind of see it through their eyes is, is even better. No, no. So, I know you don't like Incredibles 2. Not a big fan, but right. um, my number nine is the tracking shot from Halloween. The oh, okay. two and a half minute track. It's, it's something that's getting a lot of notice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two murders in it, which is fun. Oh, um, and a baby that is not murdered. Uh, but he, Michael Myers stares at it for a while. Maybe, maybe I would have but seen like, What's it. a baby going to do, you know? Movie. Yeah, well, he does, he does kill like a 14 year old. It's like a school. teenager. It's not it's not cool. Yeah. Um, my number nine was... Uh, the dance sequence in the favorite. 
which is just <laughs> just it's a great like little amalgamation of times. It's so anachronistic. Well, and then just I mean, chaos. It, I think it's anachronistic. I don't think they were dancing like that back then, but it is just no, no. They were goofy, vo- they were voguing and they yeah. were doing just like ridiculous things. And the fact that there was was there some music? I almost feel like there was like no music. I think it was ambient. Yeah, it was just. I mean, there was no music. You might <laughs> and right. Olivia Coleman's just sad face, just watching it all before she tells him to stop. Uh, my number eight is uh, the scene between Fred Rogers and Coco in Won't You Be My Neighbor. Mm. Nice little gut punch for me. Yeah. Um, that scene and that scene when the, the, his, the mailman or the police, mm-hmm. uh, the police officer, sorry, the police officer character finally says that Fred Rogers accepted him. Mm-hmm. Like, I love you as you are. Yeah. Like kind of saying that he was now accepting his homosexuality. It kind of like insinuated that. Yeah. I mean, that's what you know, Morgan Neville's going to do. I mean, I feel um, like it's one of the only documentaries that you can put an actual sequence from this year, right? Yeah. Like, cause it has all these moments where like people are analyzing oh, from, episodes. from documentaries. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah, fuck. Um, my number eight is the, um, performance of Volk in Suspiria, not mm. Dakota Johnson's, um, solo performance of like the lead, but like the whole performance, um, with the Volk, you know, music from the soundtrack going and they're all in their red. Um, it was just kind of overwhelmingly beautiful, which kind of ruined certain things that happened later in the movie for me that I think he thought was going to be really spectacular. It was like, but that you just did, you just, did, you just did all that. This shot's all in red. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, my number seven is red in the bathroom. Mandy. Oh, nice. Just Nicholas Cage doing an, Fucking amazing job yeah. of his performance. That scene actually inspired Which, it, Man, Mandy's inclusion on one of my in one of the categories for sure. It it did for me too. <laughs> um, oh no! Okay, there we go. My number seven is uh, from Spider Man into the Spider Verse when Miles puts on Very his new good suit movie. and he you know I finally jumped, I saw that. Too, oh good, finally. good, good. And he jumps over all the buildings and he's you know they got the hip hop music blasting and he's. Um, you know, they have that great fucking shot with him jumping off the building. Mm. And it's, you know, the slow motion and everything's open. And have that beautiful purple of the city behind him. is just fantastic. Fantastic. No, that's that's a gorgeous movie. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. Um, my number six is Joe lying beside his enemy in the kitchen. Mm. Uh, and you were never really here. Nice. Just a beautiful scene. There's so much weight in that scene that's, like, finally being released. Yeah, that's one of the ones that's in my notes that I didn't, I didn't, didn't quite elevate to the top ten. Um... My number six is uh, from Can You Ever Forgive Me? It's when um, Richard E. Grant goes back to the bar to meet um, Melissa McCarthy, and he's, you know, in his full-blown... It's it's AIDS, right? Yes. And, you know, he's got the the headscarf on. And And the way he, like, does the reveal and everything. But just that one look on his face when he goes from the kind of happiness that his character usually exudes into a kind of pained you know, realization like this is this is all that's left of such me. A, such a terrible performance. Oh, it's that's just awful. Awful. <laughs> Yeah. My number five, this is a bit of a beginning spoiler um, for Vox Lux, the school shooting. Mm. The entire school shooting thing. And just more so uh, Celeste talking. There's like just the, the back and forth and really establishing her. 
yeah, the character. Was, he reached a good tone in that school shooting scene. Mm-hmm. It wasn't on, it wasn't like a lot of other school shooting scenes that I've seen. Um, my number five was, um, and people can criticize me all you want, but uh, f- there wasn't a lot of more powerful scenes for me than um, the Charlottesville footage at the end of Black Klansman, especially when it makes that switch. That made my short list. Really? Okay. Yeah. Because I think if I hadn't known about it, it might have been... It re- like knowing about it was kind of like... It redefined the movie for me, which I don't think a lot of people are giving it enough credit for. In the yeah, sense and I kind of went in it's... watching it like that, too. Oh, like, okay. Kind of so there you go. Expecting it coming. Yeah, um, it just... It, it, it provided a break and then kind of realigned how I thought of the rest of That's the movie. That's why so. spoilers are sometimes important, Tom. Yeah, fuck spoilers. If you haven't seen Black Klansman now, just go watch it. Just just so Spike yeah, yeah. Lee can have five bucks. Who gives a shit? Uh, my number four is The Boulder Problem from Free Solo, the other documentary on this. Oh, um, there you go. Know the way the shot the scene is shot, and especially edited, you get knowing that he's had numerous problems with this in it and has somebody who knows somewhat about not because my friends are climbers like knowing that this is actually something that could be very easily failed um and the way they bat like the background into this scene just makes it so tense that you think he's gonna die mm-hmm. and you, you have to keep reminding yourself no no he's he's fine he's still alive well and that's one of those uh, that's one of the ones that i've been kicking myself for not getting into the theaters it's, it's still in see. yeah it's still in theaters right now. oh is coming it? back tomorrow oh is it okay yeah. i'm gonna have to go see it because um I know it's coming out soon. I think it's coming out in two weeks. It's, on, on I would, if you could, well, go, what's the point? If you could go yeah. to theaters, see it in theaters. Um, my number four is uh, the absolutely majestic, awe-inspiring face meld from Mandy oh, between yeah. Andrew okay. Risborough and Linus Roach. Um, I was very close to putting that in there, but I was just like, oh, that still, other scene. I honestly watched Mandy today because I, I own it. <laughs> I own it now digitally. Just up until that scene... Um, so I could watch it again. So I yeah. could watch the whole opening sequence with that great King Crimson song in that scene again. It's just fantastic. And the bathroom. Come on. <laughs> well, the bathroom scene is great, but that scene is just so fucking bonkers that yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it like it makes me so happy. My number three, um, and this shows up on a lot of lists, is the Halo Jump from Mission Impossible Fallout. Okay, well there you go. Just technically fucking amazing. And we'll talk about this more later when we get into our awards, but Mission Impossible Fallout did like... You, finally, you saw that? Yeah, but it doesn't do anything for me. It's just another action movie. Oh. You know what I mean? In the same way that like Black Panther and any th- movie that includes action sequences, I'm immediately just kind of like, no, I don't care. Well, I don't care about Even if they're wrapping themselves in barbed wire during it? Well, that's not an action sequence. I don't know, man. He's doing an action. My number three is... Um, the If I Can Only Fly performance in Blaze, um, where Ben Dickey as Ben Foley, Blaze Foley is just sitting in a chair. Another one I really wanted to see I, I missed. That's next week, I think. Oh, finally? I think, yeah, okay. on iTunes. I think it might just be an iTunes movie. Um, he's just singing to Ollie Shawkat. Um, and it's it's really just powerful and amazing and how Ethan Hawke shoots it is just it's all fuzzy and it's a little out of focus but it's so warm and uh, it's just great uh, my number two um, and rewatching this movie I kind of realized it's the only thing I truly love about it is the fireside chat from eighth grade mm-hmm. just really great acting between the two um, and then like I said rewatching it I really liked it leaving but I think I liked it because it's it's a movie that's so made by one scene yeah um Two scenes, two scenes. The, the the immediately preceding scene in the car, but mm-hmm. those two scenes back to back. Yeah, I don't have any comments on eighth grade. 
it's a movie that I saw. Okay. Um, my number two is uh, from Annihilation. It is the re- what I'm calling the reverse black hole scene. When she climbs down, in, she is uh, in the lighthouse and she climbs down into the hole. And after Jennifer Jason Leigh uh, explodes into her smallest component parts, um, a reverse black hole forms in which not life is consumed, but life is created. Um, and I thought I was on drugs, but I wasn't on drugs. But I made me feel like I was on drugs, Mario. It was unbelievable. You're on, you're on the green garland, man. <sighs> My number one is such a wide gap from the other ones. Um, just, just to note that it, by far, and this is a spoiler, uh, big spoiler for widows. Um, Marcus's death. That scene just fucking ruined me. Hmm. That's such a, my problems with like, if the way if Beale street presented some issues like are exemplified in how well that scene is, you're like, Oh my God. Like mm-hmm. that, like it hits you. Like if it really hits like a That's systemic not where I thought problem. You were going. That's awesome. Very good. Oh, thank you. Gold star. Oh, that's, that's actually wasn't my <laughs> I just I just changed it because I wanted a gold star. But no, that scene is just fucking ruined me. Oh, I, awesome. I couldn't pay attention for like five. I was... That movie, that scene made me cry, actually. Really? Yeah. Well, that's... I mean, we're going to talk about Widows a lot tonight, yeah. I think. <laughs> we might um, be. So it's funny because I... My... The one that didn't make it on my list was obviously the car scene. Because we spent like ten minutes just analyzing the car scene on the podcast, I was like, "We don't need great, to." That's it's a great, great scene. scene, but it's not like that's a thinker. Whereas Mark says death was like a punch. A, yeah, it was just literally like a punch. Um, my, you already mentioned my number one, um, which was the Boulder from, problem. Free <laughs> solo. No, it was um, from First Reformed. Um, Ethan Hawke wrapping himself up in in barbed wire. Um, no, I love that shot, but I think that shot wasn't. It's just there's so many good shots in that, besides like the little fantasy flying sequence, uh-huh. um, that I just was like, oh man, these are so even. The the conversation between him and Philip Editor um, almost made my list, uh-huh. just because that's. But I th- I thought that was too much of like an actual scene. And right. Sequence, well, but, um, the, it's, I mean, so when you said before, like it's kind of about how we judge this. It's like an emotional jolt, and that was kind of the first one of these movies that I saw this year. And I only saw it because you told me you need to go see First Reform so we could talk about it. And then I hunted it down and I saw it and it was literally the most jarring. It was one of the most jarring things I've still seen in movies this year. Because out of all the things you don't see coming, you do not see him wrapping himself up in barbed wire coming. Like, I think there's a lot of scenes earlier you don't expect the intensity of what you see. Mm -hmm. Um, But... That's, you just don't expect I mean, even logically. You don't even see that coming at all. The whole room seemed to just kind of, like, lose tingle air. when, oh, like, yeah. he did that. You know what I mean? Like, it started yeah. to, like, vibrate when he was doing that because nobody in the theater I saw it in. You were in one of those William Castle theaters again, man. It was just a tiny, it was a tiny theater. It was a tiny little, little vibrating chair theater. <laughs> and it started to rain skele- on me, the a blood. skeleton yeah. started, like, flew by for some reason. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but that's a great shot. It just... That movie's gonna be talked about. A lot. We're gonna get yeah, we're gonna do a lot of first reform. But now into our actual Oscar-like categories. Um, 
So we're going to start with uh, Best Supporting Actress. I'll re- I, way we'll do this is we'll both read off our nominees and then we'll announce our winner. Yep. Um, and then if we feel like we're going to talk about it, we will talk about it. If not, we'll just move on. It depends on it's going to depend on how we feel. We just <laughs> look at each other and go, hmm. hmm. Yeah. So first, Best Supporting Actress. My nominees: Kaylee Carter, Private Life; Rafi Cassidy, Fox Lux; Elizabeth Debicki, Widows; Albert Warwalker. Happy as Lazaro, and Thomas and Mackenzie leave no trace. All right, so we're going to have some overlap here. Um, I also have Thomas and Mackenzie leave no trace. I have uh, Shayna McHale from Support the Girls, um, Kaylee Carter from Private Life, uh, Tessa Thompson from Sorry to Bother You, and Elizabeth Debicki from Widows. All right, which is yeah. I'm guessing. Elizabeth Debicki wins yours. You got it, considering I've been talking about it for like a month and a half now. You gonna use mine? <sighs> Ravy Cassidy. Kaylee Carter. Oh, life. okay. That was, my, that was just, my second guess. Just so great and kind of human in that performance. But Debicki's my third. These specific performances, they're all so open and like their characters they present their characters as so willing to change that it's almost kind of hard to deny like the quality of those performances and they're like, so good and honest and open and and fully realized i thought regina king like talking about that one if, if Beale street's good but she's just not given a lot in that role to where i don't it think just so either. me yeah so yeah so like shana McHale and support the girls um she's doing the same thing like she's a to she's She's presenting a character that's experiencing an aspect of her life in a totally different way, and it's fully believable and fully realized, and and I always find those performances really exciting. Yeah, I mean, same here. I mean, she was actually on my short list, um, but didn't, you know, just just barely missed out. Mm -hmm. All right, what's uh, supporting actor? Supporting actor's next. the next one. Yep. Let me flip some my my documents. You want to go first this time, or you want to go? Uh, you, you could go first if you want. Document thing. I, I just have a computer. Um, all right, so um, we go. We'll start with the aforementioned Richard E. Grant for uh, "Can You Ever Forgive Me?" Um, Daniel Kaluuya for "Widows." We got a Brian Tyree Henry for "Widows." Not if Beale Street could talk. I'm actually I like his "Widows" performance. I think is a little stronger because um, it's given a lot more to do. Um, I got Michael Shannon from What They Had, um, and I have, I have not seen that. Charlie Sexton from from Blaze. All right, Daniel Kaluuya, Widows, Maharshala Ali, Green Book, Nicholas Holt, The Favorite, hmm. Richard E. Grant, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Jonathan Price, The Wife. Oh, there you go. That's nice. That's nice. Nice for Price. Yep. Uh, I'm guessing Richard E. Grant for you. I'm guessing Richard E. Grant for you. Daniel Kaluuya? Mm-mm. Brian Tyree Henry? Brian Tyree Henry. Okay. He's got it in the bag. You're guessing Richard E. Grant for me? Yeah, That's yeah, a yeah. ridiculous guess. It's Richard E. Grant. Yeah. From the, Can You Ever Forget? I'm going to be honest with you. This was probably the hardest one that I had to do because I just love that Richard E. Grant performance so much. I've always liked um, Richard E. Grant too, and this is just him at his like peak. Uh, well, it's such a shame that he might not win the. I mean, he's starting to like pop up to where he's getting back to the he's top. He's winning most of the. I mean, he's winning most of the awards for this, right? I'm just afraid that you know. 
Yeah, I'm okay with Mahershala Ali winning too. But I'm okay with Mahershala Ali winning too. But Richard E. Grant is imbuing this Mahershala, not Mahershala. Yeah. Mahershala. Yeah, Mahershala. Um, well, to be fair, I just listened to Brett Easton Ellis's review of Green Book on the way over here, and he butchered it literally every time he said it. it he put like a B in the middle of it or something. It was crazy. <laughs> um, but Brian Tyree Henry, there is a just a unbelievably like tactile exhaustion to this man which stands in for it's gotta stand in for what all of these people that live this way have to be feeling Um, yeah and and like he's carrying that I want to get out of this lifestyle that guy's a fucking great actor he's fantastic this is a great year for him one of the best for Beale Street I love him in Atlanta which is a show I think you might actually like too I know I probably would if I felt like watching a television show so no I'm just like only 20 episodes I guess that's true yeah all right, what's, um, what, what do you got next on the schedule there, Mario? Well, now we're getting into our, some of our technical categories. Not all of them, though, but the ones we don't really care about. Uh, <laughs> sorry, guys. Best costume and makeup. Do you want to do them together? No, well, that's how the Oscars do them. I thought there was costume design and then hair and makeup. Oh, there are two oh. different ones. We could do them together. They're, well, they're, I, did, I did them together. They're roughly the same for me. Okay. I'll read you all of the ones I have. I'll go first. So I have... Sorry to bother you. This also includes hair design. Yeah. So, sorry to bother you. Black Panther. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Mandy. Suspiria. The Favorite. That's it. So, six. So, there's six movies total in those two categories. My nominees for the fact that I butchered this one, trying to do the Oscar categories off of memory. And this shows that, like, you know... Well, it's fine, because, again, there's only one extra movie on my list, so who cares? My nominees are The Favorite, Black Panther, Apostle, Mm. Mandy, and First Man. Ugh, Jesus Christ. First Man was terrible. We'll talk about that next week. Um, I have, for costume design, this was a tough one. This was a tough one for me. Um, I'm going with Sorry to Bother You. No, I do like the costumes in that. Because they really help to define who... Because they're always not working with a lot of money. Um, the script is, is obviously very specific. Um, it really helps to define who these people are. Yeah. Um, and, every, you know, and even the things that like, get added to their costumes later, um, like you know, the bandage or, or Tessa Thompson's you know, kind of bikini thing when she's doing her art project, um, are really important to the overall not just the message of the movie but the but the narrative arc you know what I mean they help mm-hmm. define the character even further um for makeup i went um black panther because the, kind of the same thing every a lot of people look the same but they have different um you know a lot of bald heads a lot of huge like the costume design in black panther which is which is really good. Um, there's a, they're almost too big, I think, sometimes. Mm. You know what I mean? Daniel Kaluuya is getting swallowed up by that, <laughs> by that costume he wears. Um, but they've done really interesting things to their faces um, to kind of distinguish the different tribes, I thought. I thought that was really, I thought that was really well done. Yeah. So if I was separating these categories, um, I didn't. I put them together. Um, but I'll first mention what would have won hair and makeup if it had been separate. Apostle mm-hmm. would have won that for me. I'm always a fan of gore effects, and the gore effects of that were pretty great. Actually, they're kind of buoyed. That movie's buoyed a lot by its gore effects and its production um, design. Mm-hmm. Um, the winner overall for me, uh, based on its costumes, is Mandy. 
Oh, nice. It just bleeds into the narrative um, and, and, and the shot composition, the, the, the psychedelic variation of just these crazy costumes. And, and I think we're in, in terms of Mandy and Sorry it's, to Bother You, we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, it just it, sets, it sets a tone. Yeah, exactly. And, and you, the, like, these are movies that they're making without a lot of money, and you have to have these things. You have to have the costumes right to kind of get the fully realized vision of what this, of what this movie is supposed to be conveying. So, yeah. um, nice. What's next? Sound editing. Woo! Do you want to start? Uh, I'll start on that one. Okay. Avengers Infinity War. First Man. A Quiet Place. Mission Impossible Fallout. Suspiria. Nice. Okay. So I went, um, I went non, that's chalk, I think, probably, minus Suspiria. Um, I went in a little different direction. What's that mean? Like, that's like the, chalk is like um, a sports term for like the, the number ones. So this weekend in football, we're getting a chalk AFC and NFC championship game. Oh, so the one and two. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to go from the bottom up here. Um, and also, and then I'll introduce my winner. Um, Suspiria was my number five. That bone country music. Ooh. Oh, yeah. And, and Not music. The, it's, kind of, it's kind of musical, but. Well, and so we can talk about that when we get to sound mixing. Yeah. But um, so Suspiria first reformed, um, which I thought did a lot with um, movement and silence. You know, there's just mm. a lot of moments of, of that there's something could have been happening um, and where he just like, allowed nothing to happen. It's very, it seems very verite, seems very real. Um, if Beale Street could talk, um, which I think is an under is an underrated sound movie. I hope I hope soon after it comes out in DVD to write an essay about if Beale Street could talk. Uh, Roma, which is these two sound categories, is the one place where Roma shows up on my list, and the mother of all sound movies. This is your winner. Uh, winner, Annihilation. I mean, the end of that movie is <laughs> the end of that movie is the visual effects and is also some of the most amazing sound you know, compositions I've seen and I've heard in a movie. You yeah. know what I mean? What's, what's yours? My winner's First Man. Okay. <laughs> Just the rotating um, shuttle scene. Uh, it's Gemini, I believe. And you just hear the... That's just such great sound. That it, and it's a, this movie gets... I give this movie credit for how much I don't like it um, for technically impressing me and, mm-hmm. and wishing that I just watched Damien Chazelle just not direct Neil Armstrong's life, but like just a sequence of space scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things when, yeah, I was not this year in 2018. I was not super interested in watching a space movie make awesome sounds for the sake of it saying it made awesome sounds, so that it could the DVD package. Man, I was could, technically looking at sound editing. <laughs> so the DVD like, package could say like Oscar winner. That sound editing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, all right, sound mixing. My nominees, If Beale Street Could Talk. Nice. A Star is Born, Bout of Buster Scruggs, A Quiet Place, First Man. Um, I'll go, I'll do the same thing. Uh, I got Roma again on there. So I got Suspiria again on there. Suspiria is great, I think, because um, the sounds of the movie and the score almost kind of seem to drift in and out of each other. It's mm. one of the reasons that I thought at first I didn't like the score the score very much because I thought it was being swallowed up by like the sound of the movie, but then I realized that it was on purpose and I loved it. Um, uh, Ethan Hawke's Blaze. We should have written down who did the sound on these, but I didn't. So whoever did the sound on Blaze, you did a good job. Um, There's a lot of moments where the sound kind of just... It cuts between like three different timelines and it's the same song. I'm excited for a snow day. It seems like a fun snow day movie to watch with like 
chips and popcorn. might be a good you know it might be something that since we've already done this it might be worth it to just like wait till the spring because it's a great spring movie oh. there's a lot of life in it and a lot but, of like yeah, beautiful colors i want colors. that on a snow day i guess it's true yeah um peel street could talk is my number two um we kind of talked about that when we talked about last week annihilation and then annihilation I mean, I, I don't even really know what to say about, like, the technical, like, majesty of Annihilation. It's just, it's just wonderful. Yeah. Can you guess my number one? A Star is Born? Oh, boy. Is that your actual prediction? No. <laughs> no. Um, I don't know. What? By far, to me, the sound mixing in this movie was impeccable. If Beale Street could talk. Woo! That movie just... Self high five. Dude, I, it I won. It carries the ambiance of... of of the film itself, kind of like this dreamlike sake by the evenness of the sound. Mm. That I always look at technical has first, is it impressive? Um, but mostly does it buoy the film? Right, does it, it carry the film right. narratively? And yep. if Beale Street could talk, if, if that sound wasn't so incredibly well done, nothing would work in terms I, I, a lot of I things. I think I agree with work. you. It gives it, it adds a dimension to it. Um, it adds it adds a ton of evidence to your kind of like recollections and it being a series of recollections because yeah. that is how even it is. Awesome. Best visual effects. All right, I only have two here because I don't fucking care. About uh, I, I do have five. Um, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, uh, which is actually a very visual effects heavy movie, um, and uh, Annihilation. I mean, does any do any other visual before, effects before Aaron Dews can can I just. Annihilation's your winner, right? Yeah. Okay. Does any other do any other visual effects matter though? I don't know. You that to be your list. I'm interested. Best visual effects: Avengers: Infinity War, Mission Impossible: Fallout, mm-hmm. Annihilation, Paddington Two. I knew you were going to put Paddington Two on there. In visual effects? Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> and First Man. Okay. Is it Paddington Two? The winner. First Man. Oh, okay. You think it's so, just so, such realistic visual effects overall, and like carries you into the film. Sure, it a lot of times looks like it's stock footage, like mm-hmm. it would have been stock footage, and that's um, so impressive. Yeah, um, but you know, like I said, that the space sequences are the only thing that carry me in that well, movie. And, and Mission Impossible was going to be on like the third one on my list, but I, I don't care. Yeah, you know, about like their visual effects. They don't do it. They don't do anything for me except for like that was that was cool. Yeah. That was a cool thing. I said let's keep on trucking. We're going to take a break, but let's do the next two, then we'll take a break. What's the next two? So the next one, best documentary. Ooh. Now, for both best documentary and the falling category, I only have three nominees. My nominees, Free Solo, mm-hmm. Won't You Be My Neighbor, Yep. The Love Me When I'm Dead. Okay. Um, mine is um, The Love Me When I'm Dead is also on mine. Won't You Be My Neighbor is also on mine. Um, I have Minding the Gap by Bing Liu. I have uh, Shirkers by Sandy Tan. Um, and the uh, uh, Gary Winogrand, All Things Are Photographable by Sasha Waters Fryer is a documentary about the, the life and work of the photographer, American photographer Gary Winogrand. Um, my winner, mm-hmm. Free Solo. What, over Won't You Be My Neighbor? That's awesome because I don't have Won't You Be My Neighbor winning either. My winner is uh, Sandy Tan Shirkers. Yeah, you mentioned this. I haven't seen that one yet, admittedly. Um, and you said off air that that is one to catch. It is. Um, and if I, uh, there's two movies that we'll talk about through the whole thing that if we, if any of these were to make a pivotal film, like onto my list of pivotal films, that, like any part of the future, like Shirkers would be, Shirkers would be one of them. It's a, it's a 
really um, thoughtful and sometimes disturbing meditation on on um, the meaning of art to like the human being and and how that like refracts yeah. like over over a culture and over other people and um, over the course of your life. So, um, and for me, free solo is just tension for a hundred minutes. Um, but you know, buoyed by this like interesting. I keep saying booed a lot. That's a word I never use. Um, this interesting in- individual mm-hmm. who's presented as so eccentric because he just thinks and, and feels much differently than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but just that entire climbing scene, like you are thinking he's going to die, even though you know he won't. So yeah. Just, I gotta, um, next week, I'll Well, you be my neighbor is basically almost my 1A here. Mm-hmm. Like that, both two, all three of these documentaries are some of the best documentaries of the decade, I would say. Yeah. Um, what would you be my neighbor is really kind of a powerful film. Yeah, I, guess, got... I guess the overall winner of best documentary for me is Morgan Neville over. Well, yeah, <laughs> he exactly. Two, he has two movies. I mean, if, if what you be my neighbor wins, both of us have two, two uh, Morgan, well, two Morgan, Morgan Neville movies. Yeah. Um, if what would you be my neighbor wins the Oscar, I won't be sad. No, no. You know, I kind of think it's between, it's down between free solo and what would you be my neighbor. That would be good. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be the one category I'm like, now I'm going to go back to drinking yes, and be depressed now. about yeah, yeah, yeah. all your nominees. Uh, best animated film. I'll I'll start on this one yeah. just because I have less nominees. I only have three again. I only have three also. So, oh. Isle of Dogs, Spider Man into the Spider Verse, Teen Titans go to the movies. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was a, that was an interesting movie. I watched that. Um, I have uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse also. Um, Ralph breaks the internet, which is for me kind of one of those technical movies. Which is it's oh, wait, just are you, is this still in order? No. Okay. It's doing too much. Um, as all the Ralph, like the Ralph guessing franchise, this, guessing this movie is a win, guys. <laughs> yeah, as Ralph, um, all the Ralph franchises do, but it's technically just kind of unbelievable. And this, you know, the script is actually really good. If you could award a script to an animated feature, I would give it to this. Um, and The Incredibles too. Um, I think this might be the first time we agree. Overlap, overlap. The first one, on three, one, two, three. Spider Man into, into the, the Spider Verse. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's fucking awesome. It's the best Spider Man movie easily. Yeah, it might be the best. One of the best superhero movies ever. Honestly, this might be like one of the best animated movies I've ever seen in my whole life. I wouldn't go that far for me, but um, it doesn't make my I, spoilers. It doesn't make my top ten, but it's fuck. It doesn't awesome. make my top ten either. But I kind of want an animated movie that isn't directed by Hayao Miyazaki to do something very specific. And if it's not doing what like something like Ratatouille is doing, I want it to do fucking this. Yeah, which is just be like an fuck. aesthetic. Awesome. Like visual extravaganza. That's what I want. Well, I like how they was. made this movie and they started like rushing the copyright, the art style, like going, "Oh wow, this is awesome. We need to." They should copyright this. Jake Johnson's voiceovers <laughs> because the, <laughs> those are amazing. His voice acting is it's fantastic. Pretty great. What? What? Just doing the pointing thing. I'm trying to. Alright, do you want to? Uh, yeah, we will take a break to get another beer, and we will be right back. All right, we're back. So, what's the next category? Best production design. Production design. Try I'm sounding like um, was that Olaf? No, what's the character on Legends of the Forbidden Temple? Oh, oh, the um, the, 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 oh, ah, yeah, the old stone guy. I'm trying to do that voice. I mean, Damn sorry, it. our narrator, not me. Yeah, what's his name? 
So mine five are um, Suspiria, uh, Roma. Uh, and then I got a little bit fancy with production design. Um, I decided to kind of eschew um, the typical production design things and go a little more down to earth with the production design. Like how these... Annihilation again? No, no, Annihilation. <laughs> um, how these, you know... How they brought these worlds to life, and even if they're like very realistic worlds, um, how realistic they made like a realistic world. So, um, to that end, I have uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Um, sorry that to was, Bother You Again, uh, and uh, Tully, Jason Reitman's Tully. It's like the one he nails Baby House, nails it on the fucking head, unfortunately. My nominees Apostle, Suspiria, The Favorite, At Eternity's Gate. Isle of Dogs. Oh, interesting. That's interesting. What was it? Was your winner there? My winner, Suspiria. That's my winner too. Ah, yeah. Look yeah. At that. Um, oh, it's, oh, it's two and boxes. Half. It makes boxes look interesting. Well, that uh, it's funny because when you start watching it, you're not really sure because it's so crazy. You're not really sure how effective it's going to be. But in terms of conveying a sense of like darkness and dread. E- Every book, you know, every corner of every house, every whatever he shows you helps convey just the terrifying nature of this world that he's yeah. showing you. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree <laughs> Which is every kind, way. kind of fascinating. Yeah. Yo, just, just impeccable looking. Yeah. Sets. Just, oh. Next nominee, Nations. Best original song. Oh, man. Oh, I got it. My nominees? Just the documents. Suspirium by Tom York. Uh-huh. Suspiria. <clears throat> Wrapped Up has performed by Reefy Cassidy, not Natalie Portman. Vox Lux. Upbeat inspirational song about life performed by Michael Bolton and the cast of Teen Titans Go to the Movies. <laughs> Ohio, The Coup featuring Keith Stanfield, Sorry to Bother You. Mm-hmm. Ashes, Celine Dion, Deadpool 2. Oh, wow. I, I never even heard that song. What is that? It's just, it opens the movie, um, like it's, a James Bond sort of, like, ballad. It's original, though? Mm-hmm. And she did it? Yeah, she's performing it. Like, she's on the screen performing Fascinating. it. Fascinating. Deadpool 2's fun. Yeah, that's another, I didn't see Deadpool 2. Spoilers, it doesn't show up there again. There you go. Um, <laughs> my songs of the year are uh, Drunken Angel by Lucinda Williams from Blaze. Still haven't seen that. God damn. Um, Volk. Which is a part of the score from Suspiria, but it charted as a single. Oh, really? So I was just like, that's my favorite song from the movie. I'm putting it on my thing. Um, A Place Called Slaughter, Slaughter Race from Record Ralph. I thought it was a great song. I hate that song. Um, Performed, obviously, by Sarah Silverman and Gal Gadot and whoever, written by Alan Menken and Phil Johnson and Tom McDougall. Um, I thought it was pretty, I thought it was really funny. Juliet from Juliet Naked, uh, written by Nathan Larson, uh, which is really funny because a lot of um, big-time artists wrote songs for Juliet Naked, like Ryan Adams and Robin Hitchcock and and, uh, Colin Oberst. Um, And this is the guy that wrote the score, and it's the best song. Um, And then no list of Song of the Year would be complete without Amulet of the Weeping Maze by Jeremiah Sands from Mandy. 
I'm guessing that's your winner. No, my winner is Drunken Angel, Lucinda Williams from Blaze, because okay. it's a great song. What's what's your winner? Can you guess my winner? Wrapped up. My number two. My number one, because it sets the tone for this film so fucking perfectly and should win the Oscar over Shallow. Tommy Ork, Suspirium. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. My whole problem with Suspirium is that it sounds a lot like Daydream. That's fair. I agree. And I was, but, and I love uh, both, Daydreamer, yeah, yeah. and um, it made me, it bummed me out that it just kind of did the same thing. And it would bum me out. Wouldn't it bum you out if Tom York won an Oscar before Johnny Greenwood? Yeah, I guess maybe a little. Speaking of best original score. Oh man, this is gonna get this is gonna get nasty. My nominees: Tom York, Suspiria, Scott Walker, Vox Lux, Johnny Greenwood. You are never really here. Christopher Willis, The Death of Stalin. Johanna Johansson, Mandy. Um, Johan Johansson. Okay, yeah, we're gonna have some. We're gonna have a couple of overlaps. We have Johan Johansson, uh, Mandy, Johnny Greenwood. You were never really here. Uh, Tom York, Suspiria. Um, we have Tatiana Lisovskaya from At Eternity's Gate and Nicholas Brittel from If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, my, what's your winner? My winner's not on your list. Scott Walker, Vox Lux. Oh, okay. Yeah, he got pushed out at the end by Tom York uh, off my list. Um, my winner is Tatiana Lisovskaya from At Eternity's Gate. Um, if I was going to put a pivotal, another that was that's At Eternity's Gate is the other film that might show up on my pivotal film list, um, and it is based solely on this score, which has become kind of a part of my existence. Um, I listen to it all the time. I think it's one of the most breathtaking pieces of piano music I've ever heard. In my That's a life. great score. It blends in so well for me. That's the problem with it. Like everything's working together. It's kind of like a whole Scott Walker's Vox Lux carries Vox Lux mm-hmm. for me. And that's why it's my winner. It just sets every, in the same way that like Suspirium kind of sets the, the tone with Scott, uh, Suspiria. Uh, Scott Walker, like just everything he's doing there terrorists kind of sounding like a less less song yeah, yeah yeah and like you know that yearning leading into hologram like that music that score just you know me like we've talked uh-huh. we're going to talk about this my pivotal film uh one, my most recent pivotal film mm-hmm. uh until recently um if that makes sense was is really heavily carried by its score Yep, and, and this movie is wholly carried by its score, I think, in the end. Well, and Rafi Cassidy's performance. And I kind of feel the same way, though, about this um, At Eternity's Gate score in the sense that I think it, you know, especially some of those scenes where he's out in nature and he's just looking at stuff. Um, the cinematography is so good, but the score just brightens it and it makes it, it brings that kind of, the pain of what he of the beauty that he's confronting really to the fore of the movie. Yeah. Um, which I'm not with a lesser score or with a more streamlined score. Cause this has a lot of odd rhythms and it has a lot of shifting melodies. Um, with a more streamlined score, I'm not sure if that happens, which is why like first man didn't make my list. I like that score. That score is still like, it's just like, it's so mainstream. It doesn't elevate anything. Right. It just kind of carries everything they've seen before. By the way, we're into the categories now where we're really going to start probably talking for a bit about them. Because next up, it's best cinematography. We're already there. Yeah, we're what? shooting through this. All right, I gotta, I'm gonna find my documents oh, here. Okay. All right, all right. Um, you want to go? Or you want me to go? Go ahead. Okay. Um, first introduction or first, not well, introduction. 
first mention on this podcast from a nominations perspective of Wildlife. I got Diego Garcia. I got myself some Rob Hardy, Annihilation. I got some James Laxton, Beale Street Could Talk. Sean Bobbitt from Widows. And uh, Benoit Delhomme for At Eternity's Gate. Well, we have two crossovers. My nominees, Benoit Delhomme and At Eternity's Gate. Sean Bobbitt, Widows. Benjamin Loeb, Mandy. Thomas Townend, You Are Neverly There. And please forgive me, Sayumba Mukdipram, Suspiria. Yeah, that was he was my number six. You think I think I did that well? I think you did good. I'm, I'm sorry, sir. I feel like Our there's. Ma'am, a, I don't yeah. even know. You. I'm sorry. There's a lot of letters in yeah. that name. Um, I think you did good. Um, what's your What's your number one? Can you guess? I'm. If I had to guess, I'd say Ben Waddell. And Attorney's Gate is my winner. Me too. Yeah. So it's another crossover. That is. We talked about this at large. I don't think there's really much else. Go back a couple episodes uh, to our Roma and Attorney's Gate episode to see what we consider cinematography done in service of itself and cinematography done in service of a film. And Benoit Delhomme nails it in service of a film. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it works in conjunction. That's why I kind of like the... I liked when I saw that Julian Schnabel had so much to do with... Um, like the editing of this movie and um, you know, he, he's his fingerprints are all over it, which doesn't lead me to think that like the cinematographer did it any less, but it leads me to think that there's a lot of working con- conjunction here. There's a lot of collaboration on this movie and that um, which stands almost kind of as a metaphor for how this movie like works in its finished product. Like every piece of it elevates the other pieces of it. Um, it's it's just fast. It's a fascinating movie. See so see this movie quite often. I think it's coming out soon. Maybe the February twelfth also. I think buy I a digital copy, buy a hard copy, well, buy your mother a copy. I want to do. I want to have this, a separate conversation sometime about movies we wished would get like that Criterion would pick up. You know what I mean? And I got really excited for a while because Blaze wasn't showing I think up. They might, any... might have put it in eight though, man. I would rather have seen it at Cine 1, 2, 3, 4 than see No, no, no. I mean, I don't mean Criterion like the theater. I mean Criterion, oh, Criterion like... Collection. Okay. Because I, I got excited because Blaze wasn't showing up, and I was like, I wonder if Criterion picked it up, and that's why it's not showing up, but I don't think that's the case. Yeah. But At Eternity's Gate would be one of those like wonderful movies to see with a, a, like a perfect transfer, because um, I got to imagine he shot this on film, um, you know, with all the, you know, some documentaries and extra stuff and whatever. Um, we're not we're not done talking about this movie no. by any stretch of the imagination, no. I'm sure. Best film editing. Oh yeah. My nominees. Joe Walker, Widows. Eddie Hamilton, Mission Impossible Fallout. Mm-hmm. Nelly Quittier, Happy as Lazaro. Hmm. Joe Binney, You're Never Really Here. Steven Soderbergh, Unsane. Okay, yeah. I knew Unsane was gonna crop up on your list somewhere. I wasn't sure where though. Um, <laughs> like there it is. There it is. Um, we got a crossover. You were never Joe Benny. You were never really here. Was on my list. Also, um, I have Brett Easton Ellis. Yes, Brett Bachman from Mandy. Um, I have Louise Kugelberg and Julian Schnabel at, at Eternity's Gate. I have Jason Gorson for Blaze, and I have Barry Alexander Brown for Black Klansman. Hmm. I really thought Joe Walker was going to pop up there. I'm surprised he was my number six. But I didn't, he, I tended this year not to 
only in one category did I award true precision. I very much nominated precision in the, in this category for myself. Is it widows? Joe Walker? My winner? Yeah. Joe Binney. You are never oh, really Oh, that's here. really interesting. Okay. The most absolutely pristine edited film of the decade. You think I'm so? I'm going to say that oh, right We're going to have to go back. We're going to have to do I mean, a separate, yeah, we're gonna gonna have to a deep, a separate bonus episode. Um, there is no fat on that film. Everything is shot in... Not, every, not shot, but everything is presented to you in the tone and the element it needs to be, and that film is just... It's, uh, the editing of that is so pristine. It's, it's under 90 minutes, yeah. and it moves at a fire pace. And it has all those different... Once again, like, listen back to our Lynn Ramsey episode. It was early in the podcast. You know, it's, just, it's just its own special history, little thing. Yeah. Um, and it has all those different... And I, one, of the things I, one of the reasons it showed up on my list is because they're working with so many different styles of, of, of camera, so many different styles of footage. Um, and they're asking, like, they're doing, like, the cinematography and the direction are doing so much. Like, you know, putting all of those things together is kind of, um, I kind of found fascinating. Mine was, uh, we'll do, it's a repeat of the last award. Um, it is at Eternity's Gate, Louise Kugelberg and Julian Schnabel. Because I just imagine they went out into, you know, the French countryside and shot a bunch of, Stuff of Willem Dafoe rolling around on the ground and looking at stuff, Um, and they constructed a like beautiful meditation on art out of that. Once again, I think that's something that blends in behind like other things going on in that movie for me, Mm -hmm. and so I just didn't notice it. I think on repeat viewings, I'll appreciate it more. Mm -hmm. But that that one first impression, it's definitely kind of like just missed. It's my it's my six. Awesome. Well, that's the and then Joe Walker was kind of the seemed like the opposite of that. Where everything is, I mean, the movie and kind of what you were saying with you were never really here. It's perfect. It moves perfectly. Everything's perfect. Everything's precise. No shot lasts too long. No shot like is too short. Um, you're moving all these different component parts around and you're creating this thing. Um, but I kind of liked this year. I'm really in the mood for these kind of open spaces, these yeah. deep meditations on on openness and art and things. And the movie does it perfectly. I think. Now the biggies for people that usually watch these ones. Well, except for the screenplays, but we're putting that up there because those are really important to us. Yeah. Best actress in a leading role. My nominees. Viola Davis, Widows. Catherine Hahn, Private Life. Melissa McCarthy, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Don't get too excited. Olivia Coleman, The Favorite. Claire Foy, Unsane. <laughs> I just did that because... I knew you. Read from top to bottom on the corner there. Yeah, I figured those would. That's but so I figured funny. Gonna be one. I think there's going to be one that we didn't cross over. We repeated all of our, and we repeated all of our uh, Mario's first four: uh, Viola Davis for Widows, Catherine Hahn for Private Life, um, Melissa McCarthy. Can you forgive me? And Olivia Coleman for the favorite. My number one, and I'll announce it, and then you can announce yours because I ruined it. I'm sorry. Is uh, Carrie Mulligan for Wildlife? I haven't seen it. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. She is, um, and I keep hearing from people that see Wildlife go like, "Yeah, this is her movie." Yeah, she's kind of a revelation. I think in the same way that Elizabeth Debicki is, in that they're presenting organic human growth. Um, 
on the screen and it's just it's like utterly fascinating to watch and to absorb and um what's what's your number one my winner melissa mccarthy can you ever forgive me mm-hmm. just uh of the, of the people that are going to get nominated for oscars just just a such a human performance uh-huh. I like the, lady gaga was fine and she's cares going to probably she's not going to win olivia coleman i think is going to win um well, I think it's Olivia but, Coleman or Glenn Close. I don't think you can. I, mean, I don't mean And to, Glenn Close was close. Yeah. It's just I liked all these Arab performances more. Something about Claire Foy was the weird one, obviously, but she carries that. But you've been talking about Unsane for literally since it came out. Did you see it? No, I didn't did actually get a chance oh, okay. to see Unsane. Um, but Melissa McCarthy just plays such a human role and such an awful person that you still care about and root for, and just it's it's. A wonderful performance. Yeah, it's uh, and I, a lot of people are just like, oh, she's doing the opposite of the things she. No, she could always do this. Stuff. And she's still doing some of the body like humor kind of like she still carries herself in the way that she does in the comedic roles that she did with like Bridesmaids, what she was nominated for. But it's different. It's it's like There's, Adam Sandler better. In Punch Drug Love. Yeah, because there's much more depth. I mean, the level of depth that she gets out of this character is kind of unbelievable. Um, that must mean that actor is next. Is she n- number two? She's my number three. Who's your n- number Olivia two? Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman, again. Yeah, because we talked about, like, she's... Olivia Coleman is making terrible choices. Like, di- really difficult, like, off-putting choices. But in, knowing it's going to serve the film. Right, and it's she's making something... I mean, no other... I can't imagine what another actress would sound like saying, I like how it feels when her tongue's inside me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, she, that's, her, that's hers. She owns that forever now. Whether she wants to or not, she owns it forever. Exactly. Um, our next award is the Best Foregone Conclusion Award, also known as Best <laughs> Actor in a Leading Role. My nominees, Joaquin Phoenix, You're Never Really Here. Ethan Hawke, First Reformed. Nicholas fucking Cage in Mandy. Stefan James, If Beale Street Could Talk. Willem Dafoe at Attorney's Gate. Okay, so we um, have all the same ones, except for one. Um, oh, you didn't like Nicholas fucking Cage? No, I love Nicholas Cage, but he's just... Um, past um, a certain point of the movie, he stops doing... He stops being anything other than awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fine. And that's... And that's like, I, I nominated it purely was, because of how awesome he is. On my long movie. list that I made, he was my number seven. Um, and I was perfectly willing to... After, upon further watching, if I put him on there, it would have been... Um, I would have been happy with it. If, if Nicolas Cage wins the Oscar for Mandy, I will be very excited. Um, Joaquin Phoenix also is on mine. Um, Stefan James, Beale Street Could Talk. Um, I ended up going with Vigo Mortensen from Green Book upon a lot of reflection. Um, I think I was he was originally on my short list, on my five, and then I think I started listening to too many podcasts about how Green Book is terrible. And Green Book is kind of terrible, but it's also really kind of fun and good um, and light if you're not looking for it to change race relations in America and Viggo Mortensen is fucking great um, Willem Dafoe that's, um, your number, that's your number two and your number two is William Dafoe yeah yeah my number two is William Dafoe too but both of our number ones is Ethan one, Hawke Ethan Hawke first reformed I don't really even understand how the SAG awards can sleep at night <laughs> they're the SAG Awards. I don't understand it. I don't understand how the Golden Globe Awards can the huff puh, can um, not. Uh, I mean, like stage a, a live reenactment of the happening. You know what? You know what it was? I think 
It's too they good. They saw that scene where he's talking about his son. And like, this is too long to show in the Oscars or in the SAGs. And it's like, well, you have to. Like, just when he's talking about his son, just everything. Um, my favorite performance of the past few years, <sighs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, last year's, my last year's number one, which we'll talk about on the podcast itself, uh-huh. is, is a close two, but just Ethan Hawke is fucking amazing. And it's such... Next week, we're going to be talking about Oscar nominations, and me and Tom will probably spend a lot of time being very angry. But if I it hope gets in, maybe not. But if it gets in there, we'll... Uh, We'll do we'll do a celebratory beer, a different beer in addition. <clears throat> nice little celebration beer. Um, I just I mean fucking all I what, can do is hope. What is what is wrong in this performance? Like Nothing. where is there a moment that's like, like even that that kind of goofy shot flying over nature into destruction scene? Like which I, I it's the only scene in that movie I don't like. Um, I love that scene because it's the one scene when Emmett deciphered that she's in is not talking. Yeah. Um. He's still selling it. He's selling everything in this. Oh, man. He makes Amanda Seyfried look good. He well, that's the thing. He he makes elevates everyone around him. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, Philip Edinger is was my number six uh-huh. for um, supporting actor, mm-hmm. and just so seeing that scene is just oh, it's fantastic. fantastic. But he carries every also my number eleven in terms of scenes. Oh, there you go. No. He carries this whole movie, even in the scenes he's not really doing anything in. I mean, he's. His presence in it, like as this character, makes it significant. Yeah. <sighs> On to the screenplays. We're down to the final four awards. All right. Best screenplay adapted from another material. This was hard for me. Was this hard for you? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, me too. All right, go ahead. Lynn Ramsey, you're never really here. Steve McQueen and Gillian Thin, Flynn, Widows. Mm-hmm. Nicole Hofstetter and Jeff Whitty. Can mm-hmm. you ever forgive me? Yep. Lucinda Coxon, The Little Stranger. Oh, okay. Yeah. Julian Schnebel, Jean-Claude Carrier, and Louise Kugelberg at Attorney's Gate. Okay. So we have two overlaps, uh, Nicole Hall of Center and Jeff Whitty for Can You Ever Forgive Me? And Steve McQueen and Julian Flynn for Widows. Um, I have um, Spike Lee, Charlie Watchtall, David Rabinowitz, and Kevin Willimont for Black Klansman. My number six. I have Barry Jenkins for If Beale Street Could Talk. Not on my list. I have Paul Dano and Zoe Kazan for Wildlife. Still haven't seen. Um, I just, we should talk real quick about this a little bit because... Wildlife? No, no, no. About Maybe using wildlife as kind of like a jumping off point in the sense that I think wildlife, the novel, fucking sucks because I think Richard Ford stinks. But out of wildlife, the novel, they were able to extract... Um, the significant pieces of it, and and structure it, and twist it into like a wonderful, like movie script. I think I think Zoe Kazan is one of the best screenwriters active right now. I mean, I, I guess mean, I don't I don't I don't think you're a Ruby Sparks fan, but I love Ruby I, Sparks. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it's I think it's a good movie. Um, it's a good criticism on like the romance movies of the time. I mean, I think that interestingly enough, the story of this is that Paul Dano decided to write a, you know, he wanted to adapt this. He wrote to Richard Ford and Richard Ford wrote this really literary letter back and said like, you know, you can do it, blah, blah, blah. And he, you know, took a couple passes at it himself and then he let Zoe Kazan read it. And Zoe Kazan was just like, no, maybe you should let me also <laughs> take, a, <laughs> take a pass at this. And then together they fashioned this script. Um, 
it is it's not on my it's not my number one um but i think it's an interesting juxtaposition to something which i didn't respond to from a script perspective which is you were never really here which i don't think that lynn ramsey did like a great job adapting the book to the film and like the best parts of the film have almost nothing to do with like the adaptation of of the book even though she leaves a lot of the book intact there's these chunks that don't that aren't in the book that work better than everything that was in the book do you know what i mean yeah, yeah that's right. and that kind of affected my like interpretation of like the adaptation so what's what's your number one my winner steve mcqueen jillian flynn widows mm. yeah i'm going um don't have a lot to say about that. It's just it's well, we already kind of talked yeah. about it. It's kind of perfect. I'm going with Barry Jenkins. If Beale Street could talk, um, we kind of we talked about it last week. Um, unfortunately, there's not like a ton to say about it. Um, Widows is my number two, just because it's it's perfect. But Beale Street hits me in my heart. My heart's guts kicks me. In my heart's balls, as they say. And speaking of nowhere, which, they kicked in the balls because another foregone conclusion award. Known has best, I think so. I think best for. I think this is a foregone. Uh, people best original screenplay. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, Andrew Bukowski. Bujalski. Bujalski. Support the girls. Mm-hmm. Alice Warwalker. Happy as Lazaro. Okay. Boots Riley. Sorry to bother you. Tamara Jenkins. Private Life. Paul Schrader. First Reformed. Also, I also have Paul Schrader. Uh, first Reformed. I also have Andrew Bujalski. Support the girls. I also have Tamara Jenkins for Private Life. I also have Boots Riley for Sorry to Bother You. My um, wild card in this is the uh, script for The Favorite by Deborah Davis and Tony McNamara. Um, it was just it was, so, up, it was in my top ten ish. Just so funny, and I didn't expect it. And it all those modern mannerisms and idioms that they kind of throw in there. Um, only help to elevate this movie out of a kind of period piece hell into something you have to think about and you have to consider and that is is a significant movie um do we do we agree again want to do it on three again yeah one two three paul, paul schrader, schrader first, first reformed yeah. it's not even really a question um yeah. i don't know if he's gonna get even nominated people fucking hate paul schrader no. in hollywood from what I from listening to enough Brett Easton Ellis podcasts, I have determined that people do not like Paul Schrader, um, which would be a crash slash the artist esque tra- travesty. Yeah, if no. he well, look at, doesn't look even at, get nominated. Look at all the critics' circles awards with best actor and best original screenplay, and see that they're getting it right with the fact that like both like Paul Schrader and Ethan Hawke keep winning, like these. Stand head and shoulders above um, almost anything else that had come out. Right, and we're going to talk about and this. And like, one. there was some really good original screenplays, like well, first, that's, so that's like m- Private Life, you yeah. know, Happy. All four. I, I bother to say a second best on that. Um, probably Tamara Jenkins for Private Life would be uh-huh. my number two, but just all those screenplays are great. But Paul Schrader's in Private Life or First Reformed is just. Impeccable. I mean, Paul Schrader's has a depth that none of these other movies can even kind of <laughs> like yeah. hope to aspire to. Yeah. Um, so much so that everyone still thinks it's about climate change, which is. You want to hear a lengthy discussion? Just episode die. one, right? Like all the way back to yeah. uh, episode zero. Episode, uh, episode it, zero? Yeah, it might be episode zero. We may have to go do a revisiting yeah. episode yeah. in the middle of the summer next year when it's. Just a, or the spring, late spring when it's just Avengers and nothing. We may have to 
Yeah. <laughs> have a first revisiting first reformed and and you were never really here conversation. We're into the uh final two categories, by the way. It's gonna take a while, so yeah. all right. Uh, this is this are these are the good ones. These are the big ones. I'm excited. I'm excited. Best director is the first one. You want me to go or you wanna go? You notice how we haven't had any little fun sketches in between? Good job for us. We're not well, we're doing this in like two hours, not like five hours. No, there's no songs. I'm not going to play. You no, want no, to, there is some music. Do you want to sing a song? No. Okay. Um, it's an upbeat, inspirational song about love. <laughs> I have Barry Jenkins, If Beale Street Could Talk. I have Julian Schnabel for um, At Eternity's Gate. I have Steve McQueen for Widows. I have Alex Garland for Annihilation. And I have Ethan Hawke for Blaze. My nominees... Julian Schnabel, and Attorney's Gate. Lynn Ramsey, You're Never Really Here. Steve McQueen, Widows. Panos Cosmatis, Mandy. Nice. Paul Schrader, First Reformed. Okay. That's, yeah, that's, the, all uh, those are on my list. I mean, my long list of movies. <laughs> there's, there's no anger here between us. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> what? Wait, oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry, Brian Singer. Bohemian Rhapsody. He's my number one. He did a good half a job. <laughs> he did like 80% of that movie. Who knows right? what that, you know, that did, movie looked he like. He did a Brian Singer 80%. Um, my winner, I yeah. guess I'll go first. Go ahead. Steve McQueen, Widows. Yeah, he's my winner too. Yeah. Um, he is, spoiler alert, it is not my number one movie. And I had a lot of trouble with this because I kind of... I'm under the impression that a number one movie. And I actually agree with you that it's not your number one. Movie. Like I, I <laughs> we'll talk. Yeah, we'll talk about this in a minute. Um, but he made a perfect movie. Yeah, I'm not even 100 percent sure what everyone else in the universe is watching. Widows is a perfect movie. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't get the criticism. I don't, don't get like kind of everyone giving it like that typical 80 percent and seeing fucking. Son of a bitch, Bradley Cooper, <laughs> directing his shit fucking movie. Oh, man. Yeah. People go like, oh, yeah. And it's like, no. You like one song, one decently shot sequence with a bridge fill, and just an awful, awful movie that is like the second worst adaptation of its series. Like, well, can I It's ask... slightly better than the Christopherson. Can uh, I ask you a question? Christian version. If Alfonso Cuaron, by the way, also did a very great job. It just didn't hit me. Right, and I at least had to have a movie that I was emotionally invested Thank in. Thank God he's going to win. I hope Thank so. Thank God that Bradley Cooper's probably... No, Bradley Cooper's going to win an Oscar final this year. He's going to have like eight nominations overall in this history. Can I touch it? Can, can, I, can, uh, can I touch it? They should put make your nose... Here's a, here's a quick question. They should make your nose bigger. I have a question. Here's a quick question. No, no, okay. no, 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 no. Good. Would you rather Ethan Hawke not get nominated at all or Ethan Hawke get nominated but have to sit there do an Ethan Hawke face if Bradley Cooper wins. I'm going to be honest with you, and then I'm going to ask my question. If I, I'm i 100% sure, and I'm going to be so sad if this isn't the case, but I actually kind of believe it. If Ethan Hawke gets nominated for Best Actor because he's not gotten nominated from like the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards, then he's going to win. That could be, okay. They're nominating him for him to win. You know what I mean? Um, my question is this, Mario. We joked, I think, a little bit before, either on air or off air, about being contrarians. I think this movie stinks. Yeah, I think no, the Star I, is Born stinks. Would I, like, our, I, we're talking, we, we both 
Roma didn't speak to us, but neither of us said. I got Roma on a couple of categories. Yeah, but neither of us like it's it's a fantastic movie. It's just if it doesn't, it's an achievement. Yeah, it's a fantastic achievement. My achievement, and it's not doing the things I want from a movie. What our dislike is our dislike of a Star Is Born, which I I can't I I can't process it. It doesn't make any sense. Watch Steve McQueen be our listener, and he's like, "Oh, guys, talk about me more." We will. We'll talk about Rafes. <laughs> Would our dislike of Star is Born be less visceral if it didn't have this kind of universal, like, well, every, it's just, it's great. Everyone you know, loves it. Jack, you know, Jackson Maine's a great we character. We saw it before the Firestone started, I think. It had gotten really big critical success out of the festivals, but we went in, like, with that, but not, like, the fire that was beneath well, it made it. a lot of money we saw it that first week so yeah. like we got in a packed s- house we got to i mean but we got to see it making money but we didn't we're not responding to the fact it's, that it was like super fucking, unbelievably popular. it's avatar it's avatar all over again okay. and avatar good, that's a good one like it's 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 a, it's a bad movie that becomes this weird phenomenon. but avatar lost two two oscars that everyone assumed it was going to win no to a tiny movie <laughs> to a tiny divorcee yeah, um, um, but, but that's the thing. I think in a in a year where I think you have a lot of movies that are doing what I think Bradley Cooper was trying to do way better than Bradley Cooper did it in like At Eternity's Gate and in um, in Blaze and If Beale Street Could Talk. I'm surprised Paul Schrader didn't get nominated by you, by the way. I but that's so. There's things in that I love the direction of that movie, but it's very Paul Schrader tends to work. You know how we talked about the fact that, like, Panos... like a, a nice night, late 1970s, early 80s movie for me at times. That's Panos Cosmatos probably had less money than Paul Schrader had oh, to make easily, First Reformed. I'd say. But, but Mandy looks and feels way better. And big. And in more... In, it's so big it's more so interestingly small. Adri- as small as it right. obviously is. It's more interestingly a directed movie than First Reformed is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just kind of is. That's why I'm expecting, like... Something like Claire Denis' high life to kind of like hit me in the gut. When Panos Cosmatos had so little to do and just did so much with it. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of the same way Lynn Ramsey too. Um, let's just talk about the winner. Uh, you know, just McQueen. Like you said, everything in that's perfect. Well, that's the thing. So he's, you know, it's Steve fucking McQueen. So when he goes into this next movie and he's got all these major stars attached to it, you know, it's going to look how it's going to look. Um but the fact that he did it perfectly is significant. It's, it's, it's very significant. I heard a lot of criticism that, like, oh, it's, it plays like a TV show because there's so much plot. And I was like, there's no <laughs> there's no plot. I was like, it's a very simple – I mean, there, there is, is plot, plot but, it's so but it's very simple. By... And all this, all this other stuff in it is presented, is presented fully but subtly. Also, isn't, doesn't, isn't it interesting how it feels so much like – it's based on you know that British television show. It feels so much, so episodic in a way. It almost feels like that first season of True Detective, but so told so closely knit together in the sense of like and, its pacing and like what's happening in it and how there's like these ebbs and flows that would be episodes sort of thing. That's it is it does feel very so slightly episodic, but that's like a purposeful conceit to like get you to these emotional highs. But I just love, I mean I just love the fact that a line in that movie can tell you like six different things from a plot perspective like and from a character perspective and from like a general where we are in the narrative perspective and a general where you are in this character's 
like development. narrative pr- development perspective. Um, like a single line can do that. A single frame of the movie can show you somebody twisting from one thing into another thing. And that's why, also to speak of that, my number two in terms of capturing frames was Julian Schnabel in Attorney's Gate in terms of direction. Right. Okay. Which another, I think, perfectly directed movie for me. I had him three. I had Barry Jenkins two, but... Um, it's just... I think it's just McQueen is so much more perfect. It, mm-hmm. You know, like there's there's technical perfection which Julian Schnabel does and just always does, mm-hmm. and then there's just like this next level. Is he an alien? Direction that Steve McQueen did in Widows. All right, let's take um, a quick break and then we'll come back with, with our, our top ten of the year. There we go. All right, we're back. This is a biggie. The moment of truth, yeah. folks. And, and truth, underlined, truth. bolded, yeah. italicized. Moment of objective truth. While we disagree. With um, this is our top ten movies of the year. Um, we'll start with our number tens, and we'll just move our way up. Yeah. Um, you want me to go first? Oh, yeah, you can start. All right. My number ten is an oft-talked-about movie tonight. It is uh, Panos Cosmatos' Mandy. I'm not sure what else we need to say about it. My number 11. It kicked my fucking ass. It's, it's... actually one of the most fun movies I've I've watched this year. It's so fun. It's great, but it's so fun. Mario's brain is exploding. I'll mention that off air. Okay. I just thought. Um, yeah, no, that's a great fucking movie. That blend scene, like you said, Nicolas Cage has returned the form. Because people that have seen this movie are saying... I mean, there's a lot of... Like, it's the thing. I don't usually go in for... It's got the perfect kind of action for me. It's highly stylized. It's close up. It um, doesn't exist for its own sake, per se. It exists because, like, let's see if we can get this done on this budget with this stuff. And then the undercurrents under it... Undercurrents under it... um, the super under the super under undercurrents of all the drug stuff and all the mysticism and all you know everything that's kind of just like bubbling under the surface. Talking to the chemist that scene, just as, or not talking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Talking, and the tiger just walks out, you know, of the cage. Um, all that stuff is awesome, and it's presented awesome, and it's not presented super seriously, um, which makes allows you to have fun. Watching somebody just like chop people up and crush a guy's head, um, and, t- and take a bunch of LSD and watch his wife get burned. All that stuff is, all that stuff is not so fun. But in this movie, it's kind of awesome. I don't know his wife getting burned is, wasn't too fun in terms of how well Nicolas Cage sells that scene. Yeah. So you ready to get mad? <laughs> Maybe slightly or disappointed. You're gonna be more disappointed. My number ten. <clears throat> Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, I'm not disappointed. That's fine. I don't care. Just a fucking great action movie. Well, I'm going to just interrupt you real quick, and then you can continue saying whatever you say. Again, that's, my, all, that's all I have to say. My fucking problem great is movie. that I, as soon as like one of these big-budget action sequences start, I just zone out. Yeah. I could give two fucking shits about Tom Cruise jumping out of a fucking helicopter. I just don't care. My number 11 was actually is Avengers Infinity War, so mm-hmm. I still respond to action, yeah. and um, this just... 
you know, so like both those movies I, I like a lot for what they do. The snap, it was even close to making my sequences thing. Mm-hmm. I just missed it because I was like, no, nah, it didn't really hit me. It's just as cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, it's such a perfect action movie. And it's, it's always fun to see the fact that this is still isn't my favorite Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible 3 is still my favorite, surprisingly. But the fact that like the first two movies in this series, one was okay, but didn't really do what I wanted it to do. Two was awful. But then since then, this series has just been great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice seeing, you know, the good part of the slightly good part of the um, usual suspects train doing something. Is Christopher McQuarrie, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, doing doing something good. Well, he wasn't. Oh. He's not terrible. No, he's a good director too. He's. It's kind of reminding me of like Brad Bird as live action. Well, they director. were and they were talking about this on on some podcast or another. I think it was one of the the Ringer podcasts, and they were saying that McQuarrie um, just kind of understands these movies. Kind of how we talked about with David Yates and like the Harry Potter movies. He just understands this universe. He understands what this movie is supposed to be. He understands what Tom Cruise wants to do. He just gets it. And so in that regard, he's the perfect guy to do these movies. And unlike James Bond, where they just keep like switching directors and like then this director will make a good movie and then he'll make another movie and it won't be good because all this other stuff will be different. They're just like Mendes intensifies. They're just like, here you go. Christopher McQuarrie, as long as you want to do him, and as long as Tom Cruise wants to do him, let's and, just and agrees, do agrees, like, approves you, you know. Yeah. Uh, my number nine is a movie that would be so much higher on my list if it isn't for a broken final act that just doesn't work oh, so nice. well. Fox Lux. Huh, okay. my number nine. Yeah. Um, the first two acts of that movie are great. I, I like all the performances in it, especially Rafi Cassidy. Um, that opening sequence is just a punch in the gut. And the growth of her character, Celeste's character, from like this, you know, just just upholding good person values. I mean, Christian values necessarily. I mean, she she gets the backdrop of being Christian, but like just good values and just a sudden turn, you know, you know, carried. Stop myself from saying buoyed. Carried by this amazing (laughs) Scott Walker score. The songs, even though they're like mid-level pop songs, are all extremely catchy. That final act, though falls apart for me i don't need to see another 20 minute concert performance and it doesn't it works narratively but doesn't work as effective narratively as uh-huh. i think something else could have i don't want to talk about movies that could have been yeah, yeah yeah but um yeah it's just it just is there and it's just it's fine but but lowers it but you first, really, I, I find it interesting to not interesting like in a bad way but i just i'm <coughs> fascinated by the fact that like you respond to this movie so much because like i was so pumped up about it and you were just kind of like yeah that's a movie. Yeah. I'll go see it because you want, you know, we're going to talk about it. That'd be a good movie to talk about. And then you came out of it and you were just fired up about it. And I was like, Meh, it's okay. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, loved it. I actually think 2018 has been kind of a good year. I think people were beating up on it, like, you know, recently, like, oh, there's all these problems. But I don't think there's that many problems. I think it's a varied year, which is fun. There's a lot of things coming from a lot of different places that are really good. Right. And that's why I'm excited about seeing, like, the foreign language films, because mm. I think some of those, I think one or two of them are going to be a good, like, gut punch. Well, I'm a, I, I know. We're going to do a special episode about foreign language once we get to see them. I know Burning comes out on DVD on March 5th, which is way after the Oscars. Part of me doesn't care. I just want to see care. Burning. Yeah. And if it's amazing, we're going to talk about it. But I've read so much stuff about it that I almost yeah. Because people talk about Stephen Yeun, sure Stephen Yeun, Stephen Yeun for, yeah. for uh, supporting Yoon. yeah, for supporting, yeah. Um, my number nine is a movie that I just saw a couple days ago, um, but it blew my mind, and I haven't been able to get it out of my head 
since I saw it. And ranked against everything else, um, it kind of does the same thing as Mandy, but it's not any fun. But in it not being any fun, it is a lot of fun, and that is uh, Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. Um, it's a it's a mess. And actually, you know what it reminds me of a lot, and I kind of I, I wrote this down a lot in my notes. Is Fulci. It, reminds me a lot of Fulci. No, it reminds me a lot of not from like a movie perspective, but from like a viewing the movie perspective. Oh, it reminds okay. me a lot of Knight of Cups, where it's just. It's just all over the place. It's not making any sense, but it demands so much from the viewer um, that if you're invested in it, you kind of just sink into, like, under its spell. Yeah, that's the problem with it. I like it a lot, um, technically, but it's definitely a film where if you don't... It's it's the definition of divisive, I think, mm. this year, where if you don't, like, you're tuned out, and I was I was kind of tuned out. Yeah, I, and that's and so I almost started tuned out, and then I tuned like that first Dakota Johnson dance sequence when she mangles that girl in the in the mirrored. A lot of urination like, in this movie. Um, I I tuned. I was like, I don't I I don't I don't know what's happening, but I need to watch it to see if I could find out what's happening, and. It just, I mean, it just, I think the ending is less successful than that first dance sequence and the Volk performance. But it's, even though it's less successful, it didn't stop him from ratcheting it up to a fucking million. And see, this is my problem, I think, actually, surprisingly, is it's not, I think this movie's getting a lot of talk because of how provocative that kind of thing is in the sense of, like, how violent and gory and unsettling it is. I thought it was really tame. I, I thought, thought this it was movie was awesome. insanely tame, and yeah. I think it demand it, it, it presents itself in such a way that's like pushing a lot of limits. And I think maybe this is a, a problem of the viewer in the sense where I've seen so many movies that push the limits way further. Well, I'm gonna be honest with you, like I had a bigger problem with like something like Apostle, like drilling into that kid's head, than I did with the heads exploding in the end of Suspiria, because that just seemed like a hallucinogenic, like fever dream. And the other thing almost seems like it wants to be real. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, or anything that happened in a, <laughs> or anything that happened in Apostle. That stuff seemed more gratuitous and kind of like even Tree Lady. Even Tree Lady. I guess it is kind of like a realistic and kind of terrifying I do, than I do what give, happened in Suspiria. I do give credit, and maybe I don't know. Maybe she's an okay actress, but I give credit to him for presenting a Dakota Johnson you're kind of interested in watching. I I kind of feel the same way because I don't. I still have actually seen Bad Times at. El Royale, which people say she's decent in. Yeah, I actually don't... I don't ever really love her in a movie. I think she's just kind of a blank slate. She's kind of a... She, I don't think she plays ciphers. I think she just plays people as ciphers. But I thought she was really compelling in this. And um, that mix for a while of um, confidence and naivete. You know what I mean? Where she's in, a, she's in a world she doesn't understand. But she knows she can fucking dance this... She can dance, fucking dance, Mario. Yeah, you know what I mean, um, and that's and I think that really works for this. Um, but again, it's taking to it's it's just trans it's transporting, man. It's 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 and I was after a, for a few rocky, you know, after a rocky half hour, I was in for the rest of the two. And I actually can't get some of it out of my head. And that's where the Tom York score is great because that last scene or that whatever it is is just ruining everything. Um, 
you got this really hauntingly beautiful Tom York melody going over the top of it. And, um, it's just, <laughs> and then the, and then it shifts from red and shifts from an upside down camera to those girls going back to dance and yeah. the, <laughs> the women cleaning up. So it kind of plays it as like, this is a dream. And then you're like, no, this just, this it's all happened. <laughs> really happened. Um, my number eight, uh, we all, we talked about it already. Um, for in the documentaries is uh Sandy Tan's Shirkers. Um it is on Netflix. It is utterly fascinating. I'll probably watch it after this podcast because uh, I still haven't seen it. I've I talked with my wife about this a lot. We watch it together. We both kind of love it. Um there is a there is a moment where this movie wants to sink into a wants to become like a, a serial esque podcast. And a movie becomes fascinating when it actively says, actively understands what it could become and then decides to not do that. So the title, the movie is kind of like a movie inside a movie. And Shirkers is the title of that movie. But Shirkers also, as a word, as a title, also um, plays to that moment where she decides to shirk her desire to kind of go deeper into this rabbit hole which is going to lead her nowhere and to reverse her trajectory and go into the rabbit hole that is herself and how the movie that the movie shirkers that they made and that they lost um not is an opening to investigate like a kind of true crime thing it's an an opening to investigate herself and Mm. it's um not hysterical um as a lot of documentaries are like, I, I just listened to a podcast where someone was going crazy about like three identical strangers. And this is the opposite of three identical strangers. Three identical strangers is garbage. Um, if we're going to make our, some of our worst movie lists, that would be on my vice. Three identical strangers. One, number one, and number two, three identical strangers might be my number one. It's just terrible. If Bill street made me really mad. I couldn't put it on a worst list though. Mm-hmm. Like if we're talking about most disappointed. Yeah. Be, yeah, okay, that's, but, um, yeah. That's a different thing. Yeah, I, I would. I would be three identical strangers is my number one. Um, no, fuck that. Star is born. Then three identical. Star, strangers. I think Star is born is my. You know why Star is born would be like my number three, probably because no, but Bohemian Rhapsody would be my number three because that movie is fucking terrible. You finally watch it? I saw some of it. Yeah, yeah it's it's not good. Um, because if um Matthew Lee Batik won an Oscar, I'd be I'd be happy for him. Has he got one already? No. Okay. And and he's he's not going to. Alfonso Cuarón's going to win like one of his which is fine. Oscars that day. But, but if Matthew Liebetique won, I'd be I'd be happy for him because uh, we've been rooting for him, Matthew Liebetique for a long time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Shirkers, Sandy Tan is my number eight. My number eight. Can you ever forgive me? Um. <clears throat> we talked about in the podcast. There's not there's not a lot more to add about it. Just mm-hmm. two winning. Performances for me, uh, my awards, you know, best actress, Melissa McCarthy, Richard E. Grant, mm-hmm. um, buoyed by one of the better screenplays of the year, directed extremely well. Everything works on an emotional level in that film. Mm-hmm. It's just such a fascinating watch. It's just, it's has a lot of energy for not actually moving at, at as energetic of a pace as it, it's showing you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. yeah, that was on my top. 
and my top 15. So the next five is, you know, a bunch of stuff that I'm not going to name because maybe we'll talk about some of it. My number seven was a movie that uh, I think in our second or third podcast I mentioned has uh, my favorite movie of the year, but it's fallen since then, eighth grade. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was wondering if that was going to show up on your list because you had mentioned that it had fallen. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's It fell in quite a bit, but, you know, it's still a really good movie, a really great first screenplay. Really cleverly done first directing job, if a bit by the numbers overall. Um, once again, that that scene, that, you know, that campfire talk scene, just so utterly amazing. That was my number two sequence of the year. Um, so it's, it's a good movie. It's a really good movie, and I speak. It speaks to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it doesn't speak to me at all. That's fair. I don't know. Why. I, just, I just feel like I feel like how I text you is like I want to like oh man I'm afraid. I don't want to be a dad like I want to be, like I want to be like it made conflicting emotions for me about fatherhood uh-huh. like you the father were like eh, whatever I know. just shows I romanticize images like that that's why I should never be a maybe, dad maybe maybe that's true that's the a ladies really, if you don't want children <laughs> you know, if, if you don't want children yet. but you want to think romantic thoughts about children more as you <laughs> that's a really interesting point though because I mean I don't I, th- this doesn't seem. I don't want to say realistic because I don't think I don't I'm not thinking of it in terms of like realism in that perspective. I wasn't a teenage girl. You weren't a teenage girl. I don't know if this is what teenage girls go through. You know what I mean? Maybe it is. A lot, a lot of, people of people have, have commented they, that it's like it hits them in some way. Exactly. Um, I think because I'm coming at it from the perspective that I'm coming at it, I just see it as um, a well-made first feature with that's got a, a one really compelling performance in it. Um, and Is that Elsie Fisher? Elsie Fisher, yeah. And that I kind of wrestle with a kind of technological morality with still. Um, is that maybe make it a better movie than I think it is? The fact that I'm still questioning like some of the attention paid or um, homage given to things like Facebook and Instagram and, 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 and people's relationship to those? Maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe it's one of those things I have to reevaluate later. I don't think it would creep into my top ten, but um, maybe I would think of it as a better movie. Um, my turn, number yeah. seven. My number seven, uh, we've talked about Ad Nauseum. It is Paul Schrader's First Reformed. Um, it, I was way off on that one. Yeah, it's one of those movies that kind of got pushed down as the year went on, not because I disliked it, but only because a lot of other movies – more fully realized are more are more I don't want to say more perfect but more fully illustrated kind of what I was looking for in a movie um, I think this movie has some I think this movie has some problems where I think some of the movies that are, like are higher up on my list don't have any problems um, you know for instance Amanda Seyfried stinks in this movie I think I think I like watching Amanda Seyfried do things in other movies I think she just kind of missed it here. Um, I'm not saying a lot because we're going to be talking about first before. Yeah, I assumed as much. Um, she just kind of missed it here for me. Um, I don't think I don't think the last scene. I thought you know I saw a couple of lists where a lot of people had like for top ten shots and in scenes the very last scene where they're kissing. Um, you know, is there is, and I think that scene doesn't really that does that scene doesn't tie it together. And I'm not saying I want it to be tied together perfectly. I don't think that scene ties it together at all. I don't think that scene is doing anything. I think that scene is like an escape hatch. Um, and Paul Schrader thought if I can spin this camera around long enough, people will forget that I didn't even really do anything to end this movie. That I didn't know how to get out of it. 
Yeah. Um, so for that reason, it's my number seven instead of it being it being higher. Um, but like, so that's so that's the thing. I saw First Reformed first, which I talked about, and like that Ethan Hawke scene kind of set the table for the rest of the movie. I wanted all of the movies that I saw this year to kind of do a version of that Ethan Hawke scene. Um, my number six is Paul Dano's Wildlife. Um, it started the trend of not maybe started the trend. It can it it worked in the sense that it didn't do anything wrong. It, like I said in the in the podcast when I did my Brett Easton Ellis style review, it is almost a perfect movie. Um, it's a little it's a little slight, like if anything, uh, like a, but it's only slight perhaps in its to quote our movie or podcast title from before. It's maybe a little slight in its component parts, but as a whole, it's I think I say in its Richard Brody for, for all of its <clears throat> subtlety. Um, it's an exceedingly powerful movie anchored by. Um, just four very well wrought performances in Carrie Mulligan and Jake Gyllenhaal and um, Ed Oxenbold and um, Bill Camp. Bill Camp. Um, Still haven't seen it. It's the it's my all, number one, and I have to watch. And there's another face. So uh, one of the movies that I had on my you know on my long I don't know long list short list of scenes um, is when Jake Gyllenhaal gets onto the onto the truck to go fight the fire and he's making it's another face scene a lot like the Richard E. Grant scene where you can just read in his in that moment so much of how he feels about what has just happened to him and what is about to happen to him Um, and I think Paul Dano being a first time director this movie benefits from him being a first time director because he's not afraid to kind of just let the movie work for itself and let the actors do their own work and not try to direct too much. So he gets a good cinematographer, he gets a good score and he gets good actors and he just shoots it. You know what I mean? Um, Which in a lot of ways is kind of all I want a movie to do. So that's my number six. Knocked out two of those knocked out two of the movies. I thought were going to be in your top five. I'll talk about that here in a second. My number six free solo. Nice. Just a, Talked about this earlier uh-huh. with the editing and 101 Best Documentary. Just an incredibly tense experience, you know, carried against this really interesting public interest sort of human, not human, human interest sort of story in this really compelling main character. Um, but the last act of it's just so insanely tense that you forget you're watching something that actually happened and start questioning what dramatically could have happened. Mm. Um, yeah. Number six is free solo. So it's just like a visceral film experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I said, it's a definitely a cinema watch. Well, can, can I ask you a question? It. So, like, how do you marry? Like, how do you? How do, does free solo influence your thinking about something like Mission Impossible, where everyone makes a big deal about the fact that Tom Cruise like jumped out of his own plane? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, does free solo kind of change? It doesn't change it too much. It's two different things. No, like, I know. There, there's there's the craftsmanship of trying to make a film versus this guy's fucking climbing, climbing rock. El Capitan yeah. um, without like he'll die. <laughs> like whereas they had Tom several, Cruise could have died. He could have. They had several like safety measures like and like practice it over and over again. They had like, additional they Tom Cruise's waiting. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know it's in service of the film and there's like he could have but. Uh-huh. There is there is definitely a difference, and just a difference in the tension that the way it's presented. Right, awesome. All right, so we um, do you want to take a break? Um, 
Or do you yeah, want to just I introduce think, it? Think, let's go. Okay. So off air, before we both listed what we think one another's top five were going to be. Now, so far, Tom has knocked out two of what I thought would have been in his top five. Mario has knocked off one. Interesting. Actually, no, you've knocked off two because oh. of your talking before. Mandy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so getting into our top five. First, I would like to talk about one movie that didn't make the list of nominations at all this year. Um, but I think it still needs to be watched. It's not in my top five. It's uh-huh. not in my top 10. It's not even in my top 20 or 30 or 40. It's on Netflix, as I knew recently. But this is like my special mention award really quick. <laughs> okay. Hurricane Heist. I really, <laughs> really implore people to take the hour and 40 minutes or so it takes to watch Hurricane Heist and watch it. Preferably not sober. Preferably in the company of others. Who could enjoy Hurricane Heist with you? Make some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches beforehand and save them. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to tell you why, but just do it. It is so much fun. So bad. But so, like, I usually don't, like, take into the so good it's bad category. But when a movie's so perfectly bad mm-hmm. that it's so perfectly good, it's amazing. And Hurricane Heist is that we'll have to do a special episode of so bad it's good i i kind of you know, you still don't watch shirk and ice right no, 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 i want no, 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 yeah. we're not gonna, probably not gonna talk this on the podcast but i want to see what your reaction would be to hurricane ice yeah i should it's on netflix you said it was yeah i'll netflix, definitely like watch it ago. yeah it's fun so um, should i tell you what i thought your number five was going to be sure. i mean i thought your number five was gonna be eighth grade because i know you said it moved down but i wasn't sure how far down it was going to move well eighth grade is about a life right but is. is it about a private life. My number five, private life. Yep. Uh, was that anything for? It was on my. It was in my head of things uh, okay. to put on there, but I didn't put it. On. Um. Carried by three amazing performances, one winning, one nominated. Paul Giamatti's also great in that movie, um, and all the supporting cast, and that's great mm. as well. Uh, just such a great screenplay. Uh, Tamara Jenkins docks it out of the park in terms of direction and writing. It, it feels like the best true slice of life movie this year for me. Yeah, it was my number. Um, it was in my top 10 until I watched Suspiria. And then um, because I think a lot like some of the other movies I talk about, it's it's just it's um, it's precision kind of elevates it beyond like a typical, like you said, slice of life movie and becomes something else. Um but I think it's, I mean, Catherine Hahn and Kaylee Carter are kind of just make this movie. Yeah, no, I think. easily. Um, so, yeah. So I thought your... Good one. Thank you. <laughs> I thought your number five was going to be Wildlife. No, my number five is Annihilation. Yeah, then I saw you talking. As we got through the award, Directed more, by Alex Garland. I was just like, I was like, Annihilation's in here. Like, I, I want to knock out Wildlife for Annihilation. You know what's so funny is that, like, I read this book. JP, shout out to JP. Um, gave me this book to read. And he's like, oh, you should read it. It's really awesome. And I read it, and I was like, when I didn't really... I it's fine. When I didn't love it, I kind of hated it. But when I loved it, I was like, holy shit, this book is fucking good. Oh, really? And then when I saw this movie, I kind of understood the book more, even though it cut out a lot of stuff. It cut out a lot of fat out of the book and just kind of streamlined the themes into this perfect neo-stalker-esque 
science fiction movie where the stakes are not so preposterous as they are in the book, but are cosmic, but also personal. I mean, that seems like an impossible thing to do. And I guess Alex Garland's kind of been doing this for a couple of movies now because Ex Machina kind of touched on similar themes about like what it means to be alive. Um, but it was just fucking blown away. I mean, I'm just blown away by almost every aspect of this movie. I think the script of this movie kind of stinks Um, in the sense that everyone kind of says very stereotypical, like, science fiction movie things for most of it. Um, And then a lot of the script is just yelling at at people. And then there's that really... And Oscar Isaac's staring at a stomach. (laughs) Yeah, but Oscar... But that stomach scene is awesome! And Oscar Isaac has the best line in the whole movie when he comes back and they're listening, you know... They've got that Crosby, Stills, and Nash song playing, which at first I thought was very ill-advised, but then was kind of cool. And he's sitting at that table, and she's grilling him. And then he takes a sip of the water, and he's like, I don't feel very good. And you see the blood in the water. Like, I don't feel very good. What do you mean you don't feel very good? It's just amazing. There's, and the next time you see him, blood is shooting out of his whole body. See, I think interesting about this is in talking in the same way about Vox Lux, this is a movie I went into expecting to like, punch me in the gut, and I left it going, Oh yeah, see that's I had like the opposite experience. I yeah. went into it like not expecting a lot, and I was just kind of floored. Um, I mean, there's some there's some questionable scenes, like the the scene of that bear badger skeleton thing, bear human skeleton. Like the you talk about. Wait, which one? The, well, we're not talking about the attack scene. The one in the dark. No, not the one in the house, but the one in the, the dark when oh, she's talking. Okay, to, yeah, yeah. I was like, that scene looks bad from a special effects standpoint. Um, but after that, when they confront that thing in, in the house, and it's, it's screaming. And it's got the human skull oh in its face and chin. Terrifying. I mean, that's, that's terrifying. And then, but then after that, uh, so the movie was awesome up until that point. And then after that, it rounded into something really beautiful, um, which I don't even think Alex Garland was 100%. I have to imagine he wasn't even 100% aware of how beautiful it was going to turn out when he made it. Maybe he did. He's probably hoping. Um, but, you know, all of those sets... All of that imagery, all of those special effects, everything working together um, to just make a transporting science fiction experience, which I think is all you really want in a science fiction movie, right? No, uh, sometimes. I think. I mean, if I'm watching a science fiction movie, I want to go someplace. I don't want to. I don't want to know that I'm sitting. I think that was one of the problems with First Man, maybe because I didn't see it in theaters. But I was just like, yeah, I'm just watching a guy show me some I think, space. I stuff. think that would have like, been the care. same in theaters. But it'll be interesting to see our review of High Life. Yeah, that'd be I figured that's going to be a special episode. Yeah. Um, Not a right. special episode, but a... a what did you a, think was my number rock. four? I thought your number four was At Eternity's Gate. Nailed it. At Eternity's Gate. Um, I don't know what else we have to say about At Eternity's Gate. Um I'm sure, 100% sure you are also going to talk <laughs> nope. about At Eternity's Gate. Not at all. Oh, really? No, it's it's number 97. Oh, weird. Weird. Yeah. Um, I only saw 80 after movies hurric- after, after Hurricane Heist. Man, Hurricane Heist. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it was a wonderful movie. It's just, I mean, so here's the, here's the thing. Five and up for me, I don't have any problems really with any of them. Um, six, I, six and up for me. I don't have any... Wildlife a little bit for me, but just a little bit. It's a little bit slight, and I wanted to maybe do a little more things. Um, 
And Eternity's Gate is a is a beautiful movie, and it kind of the only movie in my top four that doesn't do this ex- the like the thing that they're doing at Eternity's Gate, which is like a big, like a nice open, organic breathing film with beautiful music and um, excellent performances and like a hint of kind of improvisation and that kind of um, I don't know like dizzy feeling of like creativity just kind of run amok um, is my number two. And this is like, you know, three out of my four top fours are all have that feeling for me that just kind of like we're making something, you you know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I had your number four as Mandy, but it's not even on your list. So my number four, Paul Schrader's first reformed. Oh. Well, I mean, you made it in the it top five. You made it five, on the top five. Yeah. But it just wasn't like, really... yeah. Right. No, but we talked about this a lot. Um, what you see as imperfections, I see as perfections. Uh, I thought it was clever. Um, I really, early on in the film, I was like, oh, he's going to become radicalized and kill a bunch of people with that bomb. And um, the fact that it doesn't go that way, I was like, oh, thank God. Mm-hmm. And just outside... That, that kind of flying sequence, which you love, I don't like. Um, this movie hits all the buttons. It's just and, so and like, audacious. And, like, you know, like, Michael's killed himself. And then just, like, by the way, here's, a, like, a head with, not, by the way, not a head. Just, just matter. And it's like, whoa, I didn't think you were going there. And then he wraps himself in the barbed wire when he's fucking putting Pepto-Bismol in his bourbon. Mm-hmm. Which makes me... Which made me question my drinking habits, too. I was like, oh, I need to slow down my drinking. <laughs> I may have to do that soon. Uh, um, then Carrie, just by the Ethan Hawke performance, Philip Edinger, um, Cedric the Entertainer. can't remember his actual name. Uh, yeah, I don't sorry. remember his name in the movie. Um, Amanda Seyfried's not that good in it. Uh, I do think she's not a bad actress. I, just, I, I don't agree. think... I actually I think, think she's she nailed a, it. I think she's a good actress. I, I don't actually, see enough in her to say call her good. But I really like watch. I think she's I very like charismatic. Love. I think she's... Um, I think... If I have to, choose... she's one of the best parts of like Mean Girls for sure. What if I think? I think if I have to choose to watch like um, a thirty-something actress or a late twenty-something actress, I don't know how old she is, do something in a movie. She's like on the top she's of like my list of yeah. people that I want to watch do stuff. I just don't think she understood who this person was. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So, what's your? I mean, I had your number three as first reformed. So my number three at Eternity's Gate. Oh, there you go. Did you have that on my? I had that as yes, I did have that on your list. Oh well, I guess we're gonna. Thought it might have been higher. <laughs> oh jeez. Um, I mean, it's on there. Yeah. Once again, uh, technically, directorially, perfect film. Um, it's one of the great examples of a film to watch it in film school to kind of see like all the elements of a film you need to do in terms of sound composition, in terms of shot composition, in terms of editing, in terms of, you know, everything working together to tell a story, you know, everything in service of the emotional, the emotional affect you want. Mm -hmm. And William Dafoe fucking once again, like him and Brian Tyree Henry are having like the best back to back years. Well, is William Dafoe getting better? I think so. I think he is too. Yeah. I think yeah. I think he's gonna. You know what's gonna happen? He's gonna create a reverse black hole and create a, a second Willem Dafoe. Don't even if Annihilation Two just has a Willem <laughs> Dafoe. <laughs> oh man, that would be awesome. 
Um, all right, what did you have as my number three? I had first reformed. Oh, okay. My number three is it's on there. So we're we you know having done this podcast, we have a general idea of what's going to be on our list. Um, this was a tough one for me. I kind of knew what my number two was going to be, and then I just flopped the number one and the number three back and forth for a while. I think they both do the same thing for me. I feel emotionally attached to both of them for different reasons, but a strong emotional pull towards both of them. Um, in the end, though, I went with the my number one is the one that I feel more attached to, obviously, and that. I, I, I had a strong feeling for Old Man and the Gun, too. <laughs> well, let's, I mean, we could talk about Old Man and the Gun a little bit. Like, the fact that that didn't show up on any part of my it's like, pretty, list. It's pretty, inter- it's pretty it's, interesting, yeah. It's a pretty forgettable movie. I mean, it's fun when you're watching it, and it's fun watching Casey Affleck like, laugh his ass off through like that scene with Robert Redford. Um, but that's all kind of all it is. I mean, Sissy Spacek almost made my Best Supporting Actress nominations, but I wasn't going to kick off one of these performances for sissy spacek yeah. just being sissy spacek um so my number three is if beale street could talk which i know goes against <laughs> the text i sent you um but that doesn't mean i don't i don't really love it and it you doesn't guess where i had it number one because i told you it was my number one um well, you're just hearing you talk about it. It doesn't. It doesn't mean I don't love it. I do love it. I love it dearly. I think it makes me wonder if our number ones aren't the same. I think it's no, they're not. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful. Oh, they're not. They're not I think it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful movie. I think Barry Jenkins hit it out of the park. I think everyone involved in it hit it out of the park. I think that score um, is is uh, a brilliant score. Um, I think the execution of it in terms of um, marrying an idea. For the film to like the actual film um, was done really well, um, but part of me doesn't think of it as mine. Where I think my number one feels like it's my movie, and I don't know if it's because I didn't live in 1970 New York and I didn't have to experience those things. You know what I mean? Um, that I yeah, can't, I'm not trying to think of what your number one is. That I can't get in. I can't get in. I'm viewing this movie as a an transcendent piece of art you know what i mean whereas i view my number one almost as that's doing the same things really well as kind of an extension of of myself a little bit um so that's so i'll do my number two now what did you have my number two as widows my number two is widows um do you want to talk for another hour about widows (laughs) <laughs> or what? No, Widows is a, is a, uh, Widows is a perfect. I mean, I, I've said it again. Maybe this will come back to bite me in the ass. Maybe it's not a perfect movie, and I'm misremembering it. But I'm pretty sure everything I saw in Widows was great. Even the things that were hokey and weird, which I don't really like, which or I don't normally like, with like um, that kind of sleight of hand, like oh, actually he blew everybody up, and he wasn't blown up, and all this other stuff. The way that it's presented is so kind of matter of fact, but also so tense and so early in the movie, comparatively speaking, mm-hmm. um, that you have to think of it in a different way. You know what I mean? It's not your typical 
it's not your typical it's not a heist movie at all it's a different movie which is why he shows you like you know five eighths of the way through the movie that you know things are different things are different than you originally than I presented them to you but I'm presenting them to you I give you all the clues to show you that they weren't different you just you gotta see them and now I'm gonna show them to you because who cares that's not what this is about um Widows which I have your number two as I had your number two as Widows so we both win oh wait did you have I had Widows as your number two. Oh, okay what's your number two my number two is not Widows. Oh, I had Widows. Okay, go ahead. My number two, you are never really here. Um, I fucking love the Ramsey movies. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is always great. Johnny Greenwood, always perfect. Um, this movie, so I, 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 we talked about this repeatedly on the podcast. I don't like fat in films. I don't like gristle. I don't need long, extenuating shots. It's why Alfonso Cuaron's Roma doesn't speak to me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bicycle Thieves does because I feel like the the space in that film is needed. And You Were Never Really Here is so exact and pristine and 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 fat free. It's mm. it's 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 so short, but says so much. It is basically like eating a thousand pounds of white bread in a sitting in that it's so calorie dense. That's a good and, metaphor. Uh, thank you. Um, it's just like everything in it is there. It mm-hmm. is a rock. Um, well, every shot is doing something significant. Yeah. Everything I think in that movie is doing something in service of the movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, after he decides not to kill himself, um, you know, after you get tree synthesizers playing, and just his pace, like we talked about in the podcast, just like that boom, the, the, mm. the steps, just in perfect sequence with the tone. Everything is in service to the story. There is nothing in that movie that I can still pinpoint after seven viewings of it. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen, I've only seen my number one once. Um, that, that is, because I'm, I'm amazed by the fact that there's nothing in that movie where I'm like, this doesn't need to be there. There's yeah. nothing, not sat, no sound cues, no acting choices, nothing. Everything is there, and it's so pristine. It's just fucking, like, bugs me, mm-hmm. in a sense. It gets under my skin. Yeah. And, like, Lynn Ramsey was like, fucking did it. Well, you just know, like, I have, was like, fucking did it. I, I have a problem with the sh- taking the shirt off scene, but it's funny because that's, like, the only scene. And That's even, such a Joaquin Phoenix thing to do, and I was like, I, oh, I, know. I respected it. Like, but like, even in like the sense after of like, that, I was like, oh. When he goes downstairs and he sees his dead body, there's just a lot of like tense silence, but it all feels like it's moving. It's even when they're not doing anything, it always feels like it's the the movie is going forwards, which is kind of unbelievable. Which is where I think the ending comes into play, where for a brief second you feel like it's not gonna go, it's not gonna go anywhere else, and then. You're like, oh, okay, no, I was wrong. It's gonna, you know. But then the end, not true, stop the true. But then it's like the true ending. After that is just like, oh, they can. It's like you kind of get a sense that they it can settle down finally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like you leave this moment now because this is the first time where it's like, fuck, he's out of it. Like mm-hmm. they're they're both out of it. Like, mm-hmm. and you kind of like want to watch like these two fucked up people kind of like, because you kind of like you you think they're gonna make it, which is nice. It's it's a really kind of uplifting ending. Which is so shocking for that movie. Mm-hmm. 
But it's like, oh, they're gonna be they're gonna be okay. And it was nice to have that ending. Well, especially because in the book it just goes deeper. You're like, oh, there's more there's just more crime bosses that I have to confront. Well, I guess I'll go do that. Yeah, and this is just like, no, he's done. Yeah, yeah. It's, and that's nice. I wanted that mm-hmm. after like how much shit Joe goes through. Well, I think, and after how much that is, it's just like just to have it. It'll be like he's gonna be a dad now. He's gonna be a better dad than his father ever was. He's this is him finally escaping it, and it's right. I don't usually like happy endings. Actually, no, I'm fuck. I, I actually do like happy endings quite a bit, and this is like such a perfect kind of like hopeful, not necessarily happy, well, but hopeful ending. Because in a way, it's a suicide of a different kind. You know what I mean? Like, he's finally kind of doing the thing that he's always wanted to do. He's which killing is ways just, to find himself. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, uh, which is a very Lynn Ramsey way of approaching Did this Did you not have idea. that as in my top five? No, I kind of forgot that it was a thing. Oh. I mean, I assumed it was going to be on... It was on my list in a bunch of different places. But um, it's been so long since we, like, actively discussed it. I didn't know you watched it. I just times. keep... I just keep watching it. I didn't it. know you watched it. If you had told me, like, hey, you know what I watched again this week, you were never really here. I would have been like, hmm, there's <laughs> something going on here. Um, my number one is a movie where I'm almost sure going to talk about in a year or so. Um, I had At Eternity's Gate, and it's clearly not that. It is. You want to make a, a readjustment? No, I know. What it, I mean, I know what it is, so. My number one is Widows. Just... Again, perfection. A perfect movie. A movie that has emotionally hit me more than any movie has and just for one scene in forever. And it made me like reevaluate It's a fucking mirror. And 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 I feel bad about if Beale Street could talk because the entire time I was watching If Beale Street Could Talk, I couldn't help but like shake this movie from my head while watching it. Which is which is what a movie, which is what I'm sure it's designed to do. Which yeah. is what Steve McQueen designed it to do, which is just to stick in your head forever. Um, and that's, I mean, I'm I feel the same way. Like, so you had Marcus getting killed on your list of sequences. My number one. Um, Daniel Kaluuya's death. I think is the sat one of the saddest modern deaths I've ever seen in movies because he goes from being a, a guy capable of horrible cruelty and murder. We can talk about the you know justifying the reasons behind it if we wanted to. To kind of finally seeing the way out at the end, and then he crashes his car and he's dead. You know what I mean? No. And he can see his brother's vision and he's getting behind it and he's going to turn a corner and he doesn't get to turn that corner. And um, Jamal doesn't get to turn that corner. And no, the widows do white, white people in the end, like, well, besides, you know, like Bill Davis, but for the most part, white people in the end still win. I mean, in, in terms of positions of power, white people win. And, and the thing that I found like so strongly great about this too, was the fact that he didn't make, you know, that Colin Farrell character into, like, more of a conservative-leaning, like, like a middle-leaning Republican, like, it would have yeah. been easy, but still, like, very much what would be considered, like, a corporatist Democrat, which mm-hmm. he is. Um, well, and just, like, putting a much of the same ways as I think a lot of really great movies this, this year and, and in previous years, maybe as a response to something like Get Out, um, of just putting a lot of the blame on the people who are holding themselves up in kind of, like, this light of going like, yeah, I'm, I'm representing a lot of the issues that are important. And they are, but like at the time, they're also the problem. Like they're, they're in 
I see Widows as saying something like, by the way, still, there's there's issues that we have to resolve after the fact of the yes, world being a fucking yep. garbage fire. Like, for now, we're going to give you, like, a bit of a, a, a pass. Like, I saw this as, like, a, a an indictment kind of, you know, now modern looking at it as, like, something like Julian Castro getting criticized, you know, with his, his run. Or even, like, Elizabeth Warren getting criticized, saying, like, you guys still have problems in what you're doing. Like, right now, we're not addressing them because, like, there's a big fucking issue we let happen. Um, it's just, it's an indictment on the problems that need to be addressed once we're out of this kind of weird mirror world that we're stuck in. Um, and I, I like the fact that there's not going to be a Widows 2. Not that there would ever be a Widows 2, but the idea that he's not saying that... His like, twin brother... The, yeah. Harry's twin brother, after surviving sure. in the Alaskan outback no, by the, killing killing a bunch of wolves, the baby's back. The baby's going to grow up and hunt down ninety oh, year old Viola Davis. The gray oh, widows crossover yes. movie. Um, in the sense that, while I'm supportive of a gray widows crossover movie, the Griddos, um, he's not suggesting that these women are going to go on another heist. No. You know what it's I mean? Not an and he, so he's not suggesting, therefore, that all of your problems are solved with elaborate heists. He's saying that there needs to be a recalibration. And sometimes recalibrations look like the same thing, but underneath that is subtle differences that are going to lead eventually, hopefully, to. real significant change and that might not happen in one election cycle that might not happen with one heist Um, but if you keep if the heist changes into something else you know what I mean if then you can affect this change then you can get to the place that you think you need to be want to be deserve to be should be Um, and but it's not it's doing all that and being awesome simultaneously. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It gets to, everyone gets to say awesome stuff. They get to do awesome things. They get to look awesome. Like how often is a movie socially significant and the coolest movie of the year simultaneously? Yeah. Featuring, you know, a revolving camera as Daniel Kalula gets more and more scary while somebody's trying to rap. And, and when he gets super scary in a bowling alley. Yeah. It's just stabbing a person's leg out of curiosity, not even out of like being a monster. <laughs> just just out of like academic curiosity. Yeah, oh, I love that movie. Um, um, so my number one prediction for you was if Beale Street could talk. Yeah, my amended prediction <laughs> is now Blaze. Yeah, my number one is Blaze. Um, I can't uh, escape it. I can't get it out of my head. It makes me feel happy. Um, on a number of different levels for everyone involved. Um, main specifically for Ethan Hawke, I guess that he got to make this movie, uh, in the exact way that he wanted to make it. If Ethan Hawke's listening to this podcast right now, he's like doing some fist pumps. Not, he's won so many awards today. Yeah. He's doing a good job. Ethan Hawke's doing a good job. Um, it's about all the things that I, 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 I love. It's about music and it's about, you know what music will do to you and and what it does to other people and um but it's really just about a person it's really just and i don't want to even just say it's about blaze foley you know the musician it's about um 
just any musician who decides to devote his life to living um, in a way that he thinks will satisfy him artistically as the most necessary thing in the world to him and it's not. And it's the realization that you need more in your life than you thought you ever needed. And um, that stuff comes at a cost, but that stuff also has great um, benefits to it in the sense that it's got great songs and you got good friends and you got good, you got, you know, interesting experiences and you live an interesting life. Um, and I think the wonderful thing about this movie is that Ethan Hawke, instead of going moment by moment, he literally lays like sometimes four moments on top, on top of each other and it all works and it all works perfectly. And they don't, I mean, I feel like this move this year they made a bunch of movies like that where they just kind of like stacked a bunch. Like, you know, At Eternity's Gate does that. I think if Beale Street Could Talk does that, you just stack history on top of itself and it becomes something else. It becomes this movie, um, and I think Blaze is um, exemplifies that for me this year. All the so- I mean, all the songs are good. Um, I got I almost brought my vinyl here, but it didn't fit in my bag. I didn't want to break it of the soundtrack of the you know the cast. I also, I also don't have a, I don't. I, mean, I was just going to bring it to hold while I, oh, okay. <laughs> while I gave this talk. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, like, I I check every day all, of, like, the streaming sites to see if this movie is out yet. Not so much so I could m- confirm its, its um, beauty, but so I could just see it again. Because I just, I didn't, it was just, you know, a one-week criterion thing. I just wanted to get back, you know, I want to get back to these people um, as soon as I can. Um, and I think that's the hallmark of a good movie for me. And I, novels and things work the same way for me. If I want to just be in this world again, that's that's how I know it's significant. Um, I think we should close, I think, now by saying, do you think any of these movies, I think you've intimated this, but do you think any of these movies show up as a pivotal film later, maybe later in the list this year or like back towards... You know, the one oh, one to one of one fifties or whatever. One, one is Widows is playing a, a big Widows is, is pinballing through my brain right now for for a while. And it's been pinballing in my thirty for my thirties. Nice. Yeah, as I mentioned before, I think at Eternity's Gate would be the one for even though I love I, I love Blaze. But Free that, Solo actually being my other one. Because Free Solo huh. they'd be reappreciated the documentary. Yeah. In a way I hadn't. I am um, just that that score. Um, has is a part of my existence now, um, and if it ever gets released on a hard copy of something, I will buy multiple ones of it um, and sleep with it under my pillow because that's a thing that I do sometimes. Um, but that's, I mean, that's the end of this. That's the end of this podcast, guys. That's our. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna talk about foreign language film at some time in the future. We can watch all of them, but yeah, well, and that's our best of the year. So next week we're gonna get together and we're gonna talk about. Um, next week we're gonna be drunk and angry and, and the, sad and because we're probably about, crying. There's, we might be recording this side by side as we hold each other, <laughs> as we talk about the Oscar nominations. Um, and then we're, we'll go back over some of the movies that we um, didn't get a chance to talk about. Um, you know, we talked about. You mentioned, you know, um, First Man. We, we'll talk. We'll talk about First Man. We'll talk about Beautiful Boy. Um, <laughs> All right, Beautiful we'll Boy. We'll talk about that's a movie I did watch. <laughs> I watched it too. That movie is. I a mean, movie. Timothy Chalamet is great. Yeah. But I got to imagine that there's better footage of Timothy Chalamet being great than what they put in that movie. Um, 
But we'll just we'll go over some of the stuff that you know we had talked about a little bit before. Uh, Leave no trace. We want to go over. Maybe we'll dig into Suspiria a little bit more. Although we talked about it a lot, I feel like. Yeah, I think um, Suspiria we, we have a get a hold on. But as stuff crops up, yeah. Next week we'll just we'll just get into a little bit. You know, yeah, we'll take another we'll, week off for a list, and then we'll get right into our the week after that. We'll do back to number seventy six. Uh, the crux, I think, of next week's episode is going to be really a lot about the Oscars. Yeah, we'll just you know see I, what I, happens. I feel like we're we're going to be mad. Because we're hoping it's not going to happen. But fingers crossed. Yeah, but it is. You know, and that's the thing. So, fingers crossed. Not talking about Roma. That half of the half of the Best Picture nominees are movies that we like. Fingers crossed that we get actors and actresses and supporting actors and supporting actresses and screenplays and cinematography and scores and all this other stuff. At least somebody that we can grab onto instead of nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Um you know, we I got rid of the Instagram account, so that's gone. But you can still go to our Twitter account to Twitter.com slash film pivotal, which I'm gonna be more active on now that I have this handy dandy computer. It's very shiny. Um you can also email us at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail dot com and tell us why any of our selections are terrible. You can go to pivotalfilm.com to see links to the episodes and links to how to, yeah, you can subscribe if, and to if the you, beers we drink. If you and have all that stuff. you know, if you have opinions that, that one of our movies doesn't deserve to be on here and you have something you want to fight for, go ahead and do it. Go see a movie, whatever movie it is, support movies. Yeah. Support people talking about movies. Support Widows, people making movies. Blaze, yep, all these movies, are, they're all coming out on, on digital soon. Um, you never really hear is on Amazon Prime. Yep, First Reforms on, is on Amazon Private Prime. Private Life Anni- is on Netflix. Annihilation is on Amazon Prime. Um, is it? So see a movie, drink a beer, and we'll talk to you next year. And next week. <laughs>